there, everybody. Angela Bowen here, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast, and many other podcasts. And if you've been listening for a while, you guys know I like to do some movie reviews once in a while. I like to go back and watch movies that I grew up watching as a kid. And I notice a few of these that I choose tend to be favorites that you also grew up watching as children. So the one book, (laughs) the one movie I picked is My Girl. I believe this movie came out around the 4th of July, right around there, because it's, I think the movie's kind of set right near that. Let's see when the release date was, and I'm going to get into everything. Oh, well, guys, you know what? I couldn't have been more off with the release date. It was released November 27th, 1991, so probably right around, like, Thanksgiving. Wow, a summer movie in Thanksgiving, around Thanksgiving. That's, that's cool. That's cool. So, yeah, My Girl came out in 1991. So this movie then came out in 91. I would have been 9. By the time I saw it, I was probably about 10. So it was right around Beta's age. So I got IMDb pulled up here. The description, a young girl on the threshold of her teen years finds her life turning upside down when she is accompanied by an unlikely friend. What? What? Okay, here's another one. Let's try something else. 19, is it 72 or 71? We'll know when I put the, when I start the movie. I know it was either 72 or 71. Beta Saltenfuss, played by Anna Klumski. There is a Chlumsky. I always I always thought it was Anna Anna Chlumsky. Uh, anyway, she's an intelligent, bubbly, hypochondriacal eleven year old girl, and yes, this girl is definitely a hypochondriac. Her father, Harry, played by Dan Aykroyd, is a mortician and a widower. Her best friend is Thomas J. Sennett, Macaulay Cal- who's played by Macaulay Culkin. Then her father hires a new receptionist, Shelley, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, and life will never be the same again. Oh, I like this one down here. This one goes into a little more detail. Having lost her mother in birth and with her whole life encircled by death, I like, I like this summary already, Veda Saltonfuss, the gloomy 11-year-old of daughter of Harry Saltonfuss, the town's funeral parlor manager. It is no wonder that death became almost an obsession for her, to her. In addition, Veda has no friends in school. She is a hypochondriac tomboy. Her grandmother has Alzheimer's. And worst of all, her best friend is Thomas J. Sennett. Why is that a problem? Another unpopular kid who is allergic to just about everything. During the summer break in 1972, Veda will have her first crush. She will join a poetry writing class. But most of all, when the cheerful and quirky Shelley Devoto, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, takes up the position of makeup artist at Harry's Mortuary, she will gradually find the maternal figure she always needed. Far too much for a girl to handle. Yes, this summer of 1972, or 71, probably 72. Oh, I remember it's set in Pennsylvania also. Um, This girl goes through a lot of changes. A lot. She's got a crush on her teacher, which, guys, I got my own crush story to talk about. I was right around Veda's age. 
And she's got her best friend, Thomas J. They go bike riding. You know, back in the day when kids, like, used to bike ride? I did that. And also, we get Shelly, who comes in. She answers an ad in the paper. And this woman, this force, this amazing, great lady comes in and, she, you know, she's working for Dan Aykroyd, Beta's father, Harry Sultanbus. She makes some changes to this family, just her presence alone. Veda, I think, is curious at first, but feels maybe slightly, maybe not so much threatened, but maybe, um, maybe usurped, maybe something to that effect. Like, there's this woman, this new presence in the home, her father already kind of ignores her, doesn't pay attention to her, and then this woman comes in, shifts Harry's focus completely onto her. It takes a little bit of doing, but, and, and guys, I have my own, <clears throat> I relate so much to Veda in, in, in this sense. My father was not an undertaker. <laughs> no, he was a farmer. But um, this, on IMDb, the rating is 6, 6.9 out of 10 based on 65,952 ratings. And the cast, we got Anna Chlumsky, Veda, Sol uh, Veda Soltenfuss, Macaulay Culkin, Thomas J. Sennett, who he had already been in Home Alone, so he was of Home Alone fame. Dan Aykroyd, Harry Soltenfuss, Jamie Lee Curtis's Shelley DeVoto, Rhea Richard Mazur plays Phil Soltenfuss, who, guys, I will be doing My Girl 2. You can count on it. I got the two-pack with both movies. We got Griffin Dunn playing Veda's crush, Mr. Bixler, her fifth-grade teacher. Although, by the time the movie starts, she's already out of school for the year, so... Grandmu Sultanfuss, Anne Nelson. Let me tell you, I watched a Growing Pains episode that was probably like maybe season six, five, six? I think it was six. And she played a landlord for Mike and Carol when they go to New York. And the idea of hearing her talk like a regular person instead of somebody who is afflicted with all um afflicted with Alzheimer's. I'm like, oh my god, it was just it was weird. It was like, wow. This episode, ugh, my goodness, guys, I do so many podcasts. I'm always saying this episode, this movie, was directed by Howard Zeif, Z-I-E-F-F. Writer Lawrence Elloway. Oh, wow, he wrote on the Brady Bunch. Oh, and he wrote the sequel. Oh, and he wrote the Amazing Panda Adventure. Oh, boy. Yeah, that movie was okay. <laughs> what else has Howard Zeff done? Let's see what else he's done real quick. Oh, he's only directed... Last one was 94. My Girl 2. Wow, there is a gap. My Girl 2 in 90... Or My Girl in 91 and My Girl 2 in 1994. Uh, before that was The Dream Team, Unfaithfully Yours, Private Benjamin, The Main Event, House Calls, Hearts of the West, and Slither. Ugh, that doesn't look like a horror film. <laughs> Is he still alive? Oh, no. Oh, he died. Oh, my gosh. He died over 10 years ago. Well, who's going to make My Girl 3? Somebody make My Girl 3. Come on. I want to see it. We all want to see it. They're doing reboots of TV shows. 
Whoopsie, I almost went up and knocked my pop over. <laughs> I want My Girl 3. Anna Chlumsky, what are you doing right now? Macaulay Culkin. Wait, no, never mind. Spoiler alert. He can't come back. Can, no, he cannot come back. No, never mind. Award winning. The Stinker Award. What? Worst sense of direction. Stop them before they... What? What is this garbage? What is this garbage? All right, let's get into the trivia. Before going into the movies, he was responsible for... Wait, this is Howard Zeff's trivia. No, I, I don't want his trivia. I want the trivia of the movie. And we got some reviews here. Wait, where's the trivia? Oh, there's the trivia. <laughs> Fine by the seat of my pants, everybody. <laughs> oh, the sun's coming out. Oh, it's supposed to like rain all day here. So the fact that I'm seeing the sun is already making my mood that much more. All right, let's do some trivia first. All right, we got some goofs, too, which is awesome. Jamie Lee Curtis instituted a swear can on set to prevent trucker talk, in quotes, as Dan Aykroyd called it. Aykroyd said in the interview, it was $5 for this word and 10 for another word, and by end of the movie, the kids had about five, five grand? Five grand! Jamie Lee Curtis, come on! <laughs> well, good for the kids then, huh? <laughs> I mean, the five grand, but so they probably split that down the middle, so it was like 2500 which still is good. The willow tree that is seen throughout the movie is not a willow tree. Due to issues finding a perfect pond with a willow tree by it, which that's probably going to be between a rock and a hard place. The creator, a uh, needle in a haystack, the creators had to find a different tree, remove all of its branches. Oh, they basically killed this poor tree. And replace the branch, tree branches with fake willow tree branches. Aw, some poor tree had to die to make a willow tree. Oh, here we go. The house used as Veda's house was actually a bed and breakfast in Bartow, Florida. However, it's, it closed in 2013. Oh, well, it's not like I was ever going to be able to go to it. So, right? <laughs> mm. Here's some interesting... You want to know what the original title... And I, I, I do that fake vomiting because this is a terrible title. Whoever thought of this title, smack him upside the back of the head, please, because this is terrible. The film's original title was Born Jaundiced? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No, they're clearly not kidding me. Which the producers understandably elected to change. Well, of course you did. To do that, they offered a 500 incentive to whichever Imagine Entertainment employee who could come up with the best alternative. As a lot of the film is set in a funeral parlor, a lot of the suggestions were along the lines of Morning Glory and Lou of Flowers and Dearly Departed. Those are terrible names. Just because it's set in a funeral parlor does not mean, like, it's about an 11-year-old girl who just happens to live in one, right? Other alternatives included Veda, the name of Anna Chlumsky's lead character, which was rejected on the grounds that it sounded like a South African uprising, and I am woman? What? Unfortunately, it was the film's producer, Brian Grazer, who came up with My Girl and presumably pocketed the 500 reward himself. Well, there you go. Good on you. 
My Girl is a great title. I definitely got to say I love it. Macaulay Culkin's first on-screen kiss. Well, I'm sure it had to have been the first for both the kids. Screenwriter Lawrence Elloway said the film was inspired by a childhood friend that lived in a funeral home. Interesting. Chevy Chase was considered for the role of Harry Saltonfuss, but since he didn't have much experience acting in dramatic roles, because, guys, we know him from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, National Lampoon's Vacation, European Vacation, things like that movie Funny Farm, which you've never seen. He, he's, he's pretty much sticks to his comedy roots, right? I don't think I've ever seen Chevy Chase take on a dramatic role in my life. Brian Glazer suggested Dan Aykroyd to direct to director Howard Zeif. Instead, as instead as he had more experience, fresh off of an Oscar nomination for Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, that's right. I watched some of that movie. I think he played um um the the Daisy the Lady Daisy's son. However, Aykroyd and Chase were both on Saturday Night Live, and they had also co-starred with each other in Spies Like Us in 85 and Nothing But Trouble in 91. The MPAA originally gave the movie a PG-13 rating, most likely for the mature elements. Throughout it, it was changed to PG on appeal. Yeah, it's, it's PG. Come on now. I mean, the fact that it's just for mature... Th- for what? Because she gets her period? Great! All girls go through that. There's no reason to make it PG-13. What, because she lives in a funeral home? Who cares? PG. Bill Murray and Steve Martin were also considered for the role. Steve, Steve Martin. I, I don't, I can't. Bill Murray, no. Just, just, I, I see them, and maybe that is typecasting a little bit with saying, like, oh, I see them more in comedic roles. Bill Murray, though, since I never saw Lost in Translation, but I know it's, you know, he does get into the more serious roles and stuff like that. Steve Martin? <sighs> Parenthood's a comedy, so I can't think off the top of my head. Plane Strains and Automobiles, also a comedy, so I can't off the top of my head think. It's complicated, that movie, also a comedy. See, I can't, I can't, I can't think of anything. They were busy doing other movies, What About Bob and Father of the Bride, at the time, and could not commit to the role. Which, nothing against them, but I just feel Dan Aykroyd was better suited. Oh, wow. Anna Klumski and Macaulay Culkin took 15 takes in their kissing scene. Oh, those kids. (laughs) Like, just get it done with. (laughs) The original script was entered in the Nickel Fellowship screenwriting contest and didn't get past the first round? Maybe they thought it was too sad. Maybe the idea that a girl growing up in a funeral parlor where, you know, you guys know Thomas J. dies. Everyone on this planet that was a child in the 90s knew that. They knew it. The film is set in Madison, Pennsylvania. However, it was filmed almost entirely in Florida. And Nelson's final film. Okay, oh, wow, so this is, um, Ramu. Anna Klumski previously appeared as an extra in Uncle Buck, which shared Macaulay Culkin. She was an extra? 
Okay, I'll have to watch that movie again. Dan Aykroyd and Jamie Lee Curtis also work together in Trading Places. I've never seen it. Tim Allen and... Okay, we already know about Steve Martin, but Tim Allen was considered for the role given to... He was on Home Improvement at the time, right? Didn't that come out in 1990? Some of us family are shown watching All in the Family. Richard Mazur Phil made his TV debut in... Inglorious Boyfriend, 1974, Rob Reiner later directed Dan Aykroyd in North. That's right. I saw the movie North. I Big Elijah Wood fan. Big Elijah Wood fan. Dan Aykroyd and Griffin Dunn were in eight movies directed. Okay, that's, that's good for them. Okay, Landis also directed Macaulay and Michael Jackson Black or White video. Uh, now I'm just kind of going through it. Although not listed on the Blu-ray box, the theatrical trailer is included as a special feature. I do have the Blu-ray of My Girl. Okay, here we go. Ooh, we're getting some spoilers, guys. Spoilers! Because of the scene in which Veda and Thomas J. become blood brothers by mixing each other's blood from a cut, the British Board of Film... Classification insisted that the film carry a warning to children against performing such a ritual to prevent transmission of HIV. Thomas, J Thomas J's death is foreshadowed when a small coffin is brought into a funeral home and Beta asks if it's for a child. And it's also foreshadowed again when Beta tells Shelley that Thomas J is allergic to everything. And when Thomas J and Veda first encounter the beehive, during which Thomas J declares, run for your life. One thing that was changed in the novel adaption was when Harry tells Veda that Thomas, Thomas J... Duh. Oh, goodness. Thomas J died from the honeybees is extended. Veda instead knocks over her fishbowl, which wasn't included in the film. All right, I got, guys, like I said, I got the book. We're going to go through some of that stuff, all right? Stuff that didn't was not covered in the movie, I'm going to be sure to cover it in this movie review. Movie slash book review. Reportedly, fans of Macaulay Culkin protested heavily against the on-screen death of his character in the movie as they felt that their young hero should not die in the film. Second movie in which blah, 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 blah. Danny Aykroyd and Jamie Lee Curtis start off as strangers, go on to become lovers, the other being in Trading Places... The movie shares some similarities with Doris Buchanan Smith's 1973 young adult novel, A Taste of Blackberries, most notably the bee sting allergy. Oh, boy. All right, let's get into some goofs. Even though the film... 1972! Thank you. You can see cars that are from the 1980s visible in the background. Well, when I was 9 or 10 seeing this movie, I don't think I even would have caught that. Beta owns a mood ring. The movie takes place in 1972, but moon rings weren't invented until 75. Well, guys, what else was Veda going to lose? What else was she going to lose that Thomas J. was going to find? A bracelet? Uh, I don't know. When Veda bought uh, audio, video, visual unsynchronized. When Veda bounces her ball along the wall, it only makes the sound of a ball hitting a hard surface, despite landing on a thick woven wool rug at least half of the time she bounces it. Continuity. 
when Harry's getting dressed for his date with Shelley, his brother comes into the room and messes up his hair, but Harry tries to straighten it out. But you can still see it is sticking up all over. In the very next shot, you can see the hair is perfectly combed. Well, he probably touched it up a little bit with a comb. Come on. What? That's continuity? I don't think so. It's fine. It's fine. Beta Ann is, is in her bed talking to her father, and he puts a stuffed animal next to her, and the next scene, the stuffed animal disappears. Alright. When Shelly first meets Beta in the house, or in their first conversation, Shelly's hair alternates from straight to wavy throughout the scene. Okay, I'll try to keep an eye on that. When Harry Stonefitz meets Thomas J's mother at the end of the movie, two girls behind them keep changing their places. The missing bike streamer changes sides. The hook falls out of Fish's mouth twice. At the bingo hall, the announcer calls B-39, but a few minutes later, the bingo board is shown and B-39 is not lit up. Errors in geography. The uh, setting is supposed to be in a town in Pennsylvania, but there's a palm tree down the street from the funeral home. Well, I'll have to keep an eyeball out for that, too. Factual errors. Harry tells Shelley that he was a popular date in high school because he did a killer frog. This can't be because the frog was a dance popular in the mid-1960s. This movie takes place in 1972 when Beta is 11. That means she was born in 61. Her mother died two days after she was born, so Harry was not in high school when the frog was popular. Who cares? Okay. Wait, what is this? At the bingo hall, the announcer calls B39. The B's in bingo only go to 15, and the 39 would be an N instead of a B. Well, this person clearly plays bingo. I would not have known that. Thank you for that factual error. Okay. All right, just a couple more left. When Veda and Thomas or Jay are running away from the bees, Thomas Jay says, Run faster, they're after us. And Veda responds, I am running faster. However, if no one... If one watches the scene in slow motion, it is clear that neither of their lips are moving as they say their lines. Well, I'm sure it was dubbed over. In the scene when Thomas J is stung by the bees, it was a hornet's nest on the ground and he kicked it, but it was clearly honeybees that came out. Who cares? I mean, revealing mistakes. I can't tell the difference between a killer bee and a hornet and a, and a honeybee. <laughs> They're all bees to me. Unless I look with a magnifying glass, I'm not going to care either. Film set in 1972, but in the fairground, the pirate ship ride that is shown wasn't invented until 78. See, that's a nice, interesting thing. When Thomas J is lying, in, lying dead in the casket during his funeral, it, it clearly shows that Thomas J is breathing. Well, if that's the case, then I guess that's on Macaulay Culkin. What are they supposed to do? Tell him not to breathe? I know, guys. I know. I'm nitpicking. All right, we got some soundtrack music here. Of course, My Girl, The Temptations, Bad Moon Rising, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Calliope Ray, Kenneth Wanberg, Carousel Girl, Ken oh, Carousel March, Dua Diddy Diddy Do by Jeff Barry and Ellie Greenwich, Good Lovin' by The Rascals, Hot Fun in the Summertime by Sly and the Family Stone, I Got Rhythm, Ira Gershwin, George Gershwin, I Only Have Eyes for You, The Flamingos, I Saw the Light by Todd Rundgren, I'm Just Wild About Harry, Noble Sissy and Ebby Blake, It Never Rains in Southern California, 
Albert Hammond, Mike Hazelwood, Moon Glow, More Today Than Yesterday, The Name Game, One Form a Baby and One More for the Road, Run Through the Jungle, Saturday in the Park, Wedding Bell Blues, Wildflower, and Witch Doctor. All right. I know I stopped saying, like, oh, this is really good. This is already 24 minutes long. You guys are like, get to the movie! We want to hear the movie! It's like, uh, yeah, a lot of this is uh, filmed. Bartow, Florida, Plant City, Florida, The Writing Class. We've got Sanford, Florida, Stanford Inn, Bixler's House, Sanford, Florida, Orlando, Florida, Bingo Scene in o Ocoee, Florida? Is that right? O-C-O-E-E? Dr. Welty Surgery Exterior, Sanford, Florida. Cafe Harry and Beta C. Mrs. Senate in Sanford, Florida. Willow Tree, Mirror Lake, Claremont, Florida. Warehouse used for interior shots. Sand Lake Road, Orlando. Tail O the Pup. I don't know what that is. Bowlville, West Hollywood, California. Main Street Scenes, East First Street, Sanford. Tom Street's House, Myrtle Avenue, Sanford, Florida. Budget seventeen million, grossed fifty nine million dollars. Whoop, whoop. That made three times its money. Wow, because it's such a good timeless classic. It's classic in my eyes. All right, guys, for twenty five minutes you've listened to me drone on on IMDb, and thank you if you're still sticking with it. Because now I'm going to get into the movie. As I said, I got the novelization here. We're gonna take a peek into that. There's a scene I noticed come in the early part of the book where we get to find out where or how Thomas J and Beta actually met. So yeah, let's get into it. I gotta say, first and foremost, God, the soundtrack, the score to the movie is amazing. It is, it tugs on your heartstrings in all the right places. And the music, the music they have selected for the movie is just phenomenal. Now, of course, when I first saw My Girl, my sister rented it on VHS for me. I think she may have seen it before. I'm not entirely sure. And I was not expecting, I mean, if you're going into it knowing nothing about this movie, having watched it, you're not going to expect Thomas J's death. And when, the fact that I was about Veda's age, I was like 10 years old, I never knew any kid my age or even younger that had passed. So, it... And you get attached to Thomas J. You love this kid right from the start. He's a sweetheart of a kid. He loves Veda with all of his... You know, they're best friends. And just, you fall in love with this kid. You know, he's allergic to everything, apparently. And he's always, you know, got some serious truth for Veda. And, some, you know, sometimes he'll let himself, like, be picked on, but, but but she does it, you know, out of fun. The boys in the opening scene are just jerks. But it's just, I just, I remember, and I was crying buckets of tears when I saw this. It's like, no, why? And he does, when he, the uh, in the trailer, it does say Klumsky, not Chlumsky. So I'm guessing the H is silent, but... So Veda, what they call this type of 
scene is called Breaking the Fourth Wall, where the character is talking to us, the viewers, the audience. She starts in with saying how she was born jaundice. And the scene is set at the kitchen table. She's sitting there, and when the camera pulls back, you see Dan Aykroyd, her father, is making a sandwich. at the t- He's not even listening to her. It, it sounds as like she's speaking to us and not so much her father until she directs his attention to her. Veda says, once I s-, and I have the subtitles up, which is very helpful. Once I sat on a toilet seat at a truck stop and caught hemorrhoids. Uh, sweetie, let me tell you from personal experience, that is not how you get hemorrhoids. Not how you get it. I got that when I was 15 years old. TMI, I know. 15 years old, I'm doing driver's training, so extremely uncomfortable, and it would just come and go over time, and it just, it sucks, guys. If you've not had them, you don't want to get them. It's bad. And she also, Veda also tells us she's learned to live with a chicken bone lodged in her throat that's been there for three years. So right away, I mean, what we're getting from, we don't know that she lives in a funeral parlor. We don't know that when she goes to the basement on the wall is a chart to say what the deceased person passed away from. And she kind of takes on that persona. I'm from what from what I gather. So I'm guessing nobody died from hemorrhoids. Nobody died from hemorrhoids. And suppose maybe someone died from a chicken boat lodged in their throat. That could happen. That could happen. And she says, "So I know dad would be devastated when he learned my latest affliction." She says, Dad, I don't want to upset you, but my left breast is developing significantly faster than my right. I'm sorry, I think I have cancer. And and mind you, this is 1971-1972, so I don't know how prevalent cancer really was as far as, you know, for breast cancer and stuff like that. I don't know. But Veda... She's 11 years old. She's Her body is starting to develop. She's getting breasts. I'm sorry, I have a hard time saying that word. Unless it's referring to chicken breast. That's one thing, but... <laughs> that's how it happens. I don't think they're going to be symmetrical. They're not going to be the same size. Maybe some people, their chest is the same size. Maybe not so much. But these are all new changes, so of course, Veda sees this and thinks, oh no, this could be cancer. I'm dying, Dad. And meanwhile, her dad bent over. He's really focused on the sandwich he's making. With He's got the cheese slices, he's got some lettuce, he's got some meat and everything. He's just like, you know, piling, you know, just... He's dressing up the sandwich. He's like, oh, honey, can you uh, get me the, uh, the the mayo out of the fridge? And she looks at him like, Dad, have you not heard anything I've just said to you? No, he's not. Because eventually, because she probably does this all the time. He's learned to just tune her out. Uh, she says, it can only mean one thing. Cancer. I'm dying. Like, ugh. And she's sitting at the table with what looks like maybe some potato chips or something. What's that 
bowl that's got um it's got like a spoon or something. I wonder what's what that is. Dan Aykroyd goes, Okay, sandwich looks ready to go, looks up, honey, hey, can you hand me the mayonnaise out of the fridge? And she just looks at him, doesn't move, like, are you serious right now? I've been talking to you for like five minutes and you have nothing to that that's your response? Get me the mayo when I tell you that I could have cancer and I'm dying? Oh my goodness. I can't even with you right now, Dad. All right, we see the title card. Uh, scene fades to black. Title card comes up, says my girl. Now we cut to the setting. Madison, Pennsylvania, 1972. This is a good thing. You want to know why? And the sequel, it's two years later. So she's 11 here. In the sequel, she's going to be 13. So Veda comes outside out of the porch of her house. We see a group of boys, blonde-haired boys, brunette-haired boys. She's wearing all denim, like a denim button-down shirt and cut-off jeans. So we've come to find out that Veda's arranged this little meeting with the kids. She's promised to show them a dead body because she lives in a funeral home. She looks at the kids, like, all right, who's in? Raise your hand. So there's four kids there, including Thomas J., who all raise their hand, except for Thomas J. And the kid next to him is like, hey, Thomas J., you coming or what? And he's like, meh, no, I don't think so. The boy in the front with the curly hair that looks like Ben Savage, but isn't Ben Savage, he's got the overalls, the striped shirt. He's wearing one of those Nixon pins. Is it Nixon Agnew or something? I think he's wearing a Nixon pin. Starting out on the political path early in life. Good for you, little boy. <laughs> yeah, Thomas Chase, like, no, I'm not. And someone says, I knew he wouldn't come, but I look at the boys. I rewound it twice. None of them are saying anything. So I'm guessing, is that Veda saying that? Oh, he is looking at Veda. As he says, I can't. I have to go home. And then one one of the boys is like, he had to play with his dolls. And Veda gets right in this kid's face like, hey, you leave him alone, all right? Knock it off. And then she starts to leave the kids in. She's like, she turns around and is like, hey, excuse me. I need payment still, little boy. Holding her hand up. And he's like, hey, how did I know that you were going to actually show us a dead body? She's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, the curly-haired little overall-wearing boy. It's like, oh, yeah, and the playing with his dolls. And the boys all start to follow Veda inside. As Thomas J. is walking away, he turns back to look at them. Like, My guess is he knew that Veda was planning this. She probably talked to him about it. Like, hey, I'm going to make some good free money here by inviting these kids inside. It almost makes me think of, you know how kids will, like, there'd always be, like, a certain house you don't go to or you don't, you walk across the street to avoid? Or, like, a house that someone's like, oh, that place is haunted, or, oh, a really old person lives there who's really mean and they're a witch, or they're a this. And they dare you on Halloween night to go and knock on the door or something like that. Kind of like in um, To Kill a Mockingbird with the Boo Radley house. How Scout and Jem and Dill, I think 
was it Jem that was daring either Dill or Scout to go up onto the Radley porch and knock on the... Oh, I think it was, like, just to go onto the porch and knock on the window or something. Or look into the window. And it's... It's the thing. The kid with the overalls that gets the line. I want to look this kid up and see what he's actually done. Because he looks... He's not Ben Savage. We know this. He looks like him, but he's not. And and he's the one that did not pay up front. Everyone else apparently did. He's like, hey, how did I know you're actually going to show us a dead body? And she's like, you're such a baby. Go home. Go have your mama change your diaper. Baby. All right, so one person I'm going to look for in this movie, Nancy L. Klumsky. That is... Anna Klumsky's mom. Of course, you know Anna Klumsky, Veda. So I gotta check for Jackie, who this Jackie lady is. Okay, I'm guessing that the kid with the curly hair and the overalls, this has gotta be Shane Obedinsky? He was in Sandlot. He played Tommy Repeat Timmons. What else has this dude been in? Oh, he's in Cop and a Half. Uh, Clarissa, Clarissa explains it all. Let's see. Was he a regular on that show? Oh, he's only in two episodes. Uh, Cop and a Half, played boy number two. So he went from a named character to just some random boy number two. Alright, well there's that kid. Zachary Lamore, who's that dude? He's in the Santa Claus. Oh, he's probably one of those kids like... <clears throat> Yeah, Santa Claus is the real, you know, that kind of kid. A uh, boy who clearly has no speaking lines, because he's just listed as boy. Probably one who does not speak. Let's see. Howie. Who's Howie? Do we know a Howie? Um, yeah, didn't really do much. That's about the extent of the boys. So is he paying, like, 50 cents? Because I heard two coins, and they look like quarters. And these kids, you know they've never been in this place before because they're looking around like, oh, it's not as bad as it looked for. You know, I thought it was going to like a big scary house. She's like, all right, keep your mouth shut and follow me. So she takes them into the room with the coffins. One is closed. And she's like, all right, I'm going to lift the coffin. Is anyone else going to run and go cry, go home and cry? If you're going to do that, then you need to leave now. She's like, all right, stand back. I'm lifting the top up. She lifts it up. One kid looks inside, notices that it's empty. It's like you can tell there's nobody in it. So they're angry. Like, hey, you fooled us. We want our money back. And Veda's still continuing with this ruse of, oh, dang, you know, I'm afraid that I was afraid that was going to happen. And they're like, what? What were you worried about? She's like, well, sometimes when we get the, um, the bodies, they're not 100% dead. You know, like when you cut a chicken's head off and it's still running around. And one of the kids is like, oh, you're full of shit. And she's like, you know, sometimes she comes around and just starts getting up and walking around. And she opens up the double doors and we see Grandma sitting stock still in a chair. She looks like she's dead. She's not. The moment she starts moving in the rocking chair, and you hear that sound. The kids, they are out the door. They cannot get out fast enough. They are, like, falling over each other to get out that door. The blonde-haired kid is, like, 
looking, like, bent over looking, like, hmm, I don't see the body here. Could it be shoved underneath the closed part of the casket? It's empty, grrr. Like, no, duh. You don't see anyone in there, kid. So we learn that this is Gremu as 11-year-old Veda goes and sits her 90-pound body, maybe like 70-pound body, onto Gremu, who is probably someone, she looks to be maybe in her late 70s, 80s. But then again, this is the 70s and stuff. It seemed like people that were even in their 60s looked like they were 80. They didn't look like what a 60-year-old looks like more Nowadays, a six-year-old, as long as they're taking good care of themselves, they could look like they're even, like, in their late 40s. It's all about preservation and taking care of yourself. Sweetie, I know you love your grandma, but please, you are too big to be sitting in her lap. So, Grandma has Alzheimer's. She's kind of locked in her own little world. We really don't see her acknowledge any of the family. And that's just, it's really, really sad. I think at the point when Veda's mother died in childbirth, um, Dan Aykroyd does tell Shelley that Gramu, this is Dan Aykroyd, you know, um, Harry's mom came to help out and help raise Veda. But over time, gradually her mind became confused, and it's almost like she slipped into this, into her own world. Of course, we learn that Harry's a smoker because he calls from the basement to have Veda bring down his cigarettes. So we see Harry and his co-worker Arthur. They're um, embalming a body, which just happens to be Harry's woodshop teacher. He's like, yeah, I took woodshop. And Arthur's like, really, you took woodshop? He's like, yeah, I made a tie rack. And of course, Arthur's like, I made a tie rack too. Veda, of course, is freaked out to go down the stairs 100%. She's not going to go into the room where they're doing the embalming. She just slips the cigarettes onto the stool that's nearby. So I'm going to read a smidge from the novel just a little bit to tell you how Veda and Thomas J. were introduced. Um, I want to give credit, of course, to the novel being by Patricia Hermes. Based on the motion picture written by Loris, Loris, is it Loris or Loris? E-L-E-H-W-A-N-Y. All right. Let's see here. All right, here we go. I like Thomas J. He's my best friend. Has been ever since Grandma and Thomas J.'s mother, Mrs. Sennett, met at the playground with me and Thomas J. when we were two years old. So that's cute. They met when they were little kids. When they were little babies. So Veda's kind of telling about her. They're like, hey, Daddy, guess what? I beat Thomas J. in Monopoly. He's not even paying attention. He's like, oh, Arthur, the rack held six ties. Can you believe it? He's not even paying attention. I mean, yes, he's working and everything. But even still, it's like, what the heck, man? You know your daughter's not going to come into the room when you're working like that. Ew, there's a machine that's probably got the blood coming out of it, and he's putting the fluid that... Unless that's the fluid that goes into the body, the embalming fluid. 
So Veda didn't even know Arthur was even down there until she heard his voice, like, hey, Arthur! And he's like, hey, Veda, what's up? And she repeats how she beat Thomas J. Monopoly. He's like, oh, good for you. She says, once you put the hotels on boardwalk, boardwalk and park place, you're a shoo-in. Well, I haven't played Monopoly in a while. That is a long, long game. If you're going to play Monopoly, you better be sitting inside at least a two to three hours to get through it. And he says, yeah, I like to buy up all the railroads. Then Harry's like, hey, look, Veda, we're trying to work here. Do you mind? But Veda just keeps at, you know, she's an 11-year-old girl. Who is she talking to other than Thomas J? And Gramu, which she's not really getting much back from Gramu, but, you know, them's the breaks. She mentions about going to see the 100 and Del- 101 Dalmatians movie, which at the time, if this is 72, then that movie came out sometime in the 60s. And, of course, movies weren't coming out on, like, VHS or anything. That's still at least a good maybe 10 years off. Because I remember when 101 Dalmatians was put out on VHS, I was, like, nine at the time. That was a big, big deal for me because I loved 101 Dalmatians. We cut outside to the road just near the... Sultan Fuss funeral, funeral parlor. I can't talk today. And we got this big, amazing looking RV. Well, amazing for the 70s. So she starts singing the Dua Diddy song, which is her favorite song. You'll hear her singing it all the time. Although sometimes when she's singing it, it's not under the best circumstances. Like when she gets locked in that basement because she has to go get her ball because it dropped down there. So, of course, she starts singing do diddy and Arthur chimes in. It's like, Harry's got to break this up and say, look, Veda, I'm embalming my high school teacher. Can you please not sing? Can you go somewhere else? Which is just as well she goes upstairs because there's going to be a knock on the door in a minute. But, of course, before she goes upstairs, she checks out the chart of the man that they're embalming. Under cause of death, cancer of prostate. What's that say, two years? Something that says 6-20-1970. So this guy's been dealing with that for two years. Oh my goodness gracious. I think it even lists time of death. 6-18-72 at 2-20 p.m. So we cut to outside the house. Shelly is all dressed in blue. She got her, she's even got a blue, like, toolbox, tackle box. I think it looks more like a toolbox. That's her accessories and everything. You know, she's a makeup artist, which she will, she'll say that she's getting, you know, she's got a blue scarf, just really, really pretty. I like her outfit. I mean, granted, no, it's not really the greatest for a job interview, but it was 1972, so. Mind you, when she gets out, she is looking straight at the door, does not even turn her head, her eyes don't even move to see the sign. Does it say, it just says Sultan Fuller's Parlor? Doesn't, does it say funeral parlor? It just says parlor on it. It doesn't say any. So maybe through like salon parlor or something like that. She probably thinks like, oh, well, and plus we learn in the ad, he did not even mention, it just said makeup artist, did not say anything about it being a funeral parlor. So of course she's kind of walking into this thinking as a, the job is one thing and it's completely something different. But unbeknownst to all of them, 
Shelly being there is going to be a big change for everybody. She changed their lives when she came in and accepted that position. And honestly, I think it's for the better because Veda is an 11-year-old girl. She's growing up without a mother. She's going to be starting her period in this movie and she doesn't know how to handle it. She thinks she's hemorrhaging. They have got the widest front porch. So clearly she and Harry have been in touch over the phone. Of course, she's going to call, ask about the job, see if it's still available and everything. But even at the time over the phone, I'm sure he didn't say anything about it being a funeral parlor. So, Shelly, let's see if you can pass the pre-interview with the 11-year-old. As she asks Shelly, have you had the unfortunate experience of recently losing a loved one? Because that's probably why Veda thinks that she's there. It's like, oh, this lady, it's a funeral parlor. Of course, she thinks the only reason someone's going to be there is if somebody had a relative that recently passed away. Of course, Shelly's polite. She smiles like, can I, uh, can I see your dad just for a moment? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Veda's like, hey, dad. She shouts down to the basement stairwell. Somebody's here. Get up here. Of course, Grandma is up and walking around, and she's kind of, like I said, she's in her own little world, as Shelly's like, oh, hi, and Grandma doesn't respond, and of course, Veda's like, oh, well, mm, she's, she's shy, don't, don't take any offense to it, she doesn't even talk to me, so, so basically, Shelly left her salon job that she was, she and her ex were a uh, owner of, I believe, threw everything into RV, her RV and just prayed with hope that this job is still available. Like, it's still available, right? And he's like, yeah, it's, it's still available. It's like, oh, good. She hands him her papers saying, I'm a licensed cosmetologist, which, good, you're licensed. So that means that you can, um, you can do the job. She worked for two years at the Dino Raphael Salon. And I love how she says, all my customers cried when I said I was leaving. <laughs> and Harry, meanwhile, is trying to get a, you know, let his voice be heard, try to, like, get her to understand what this, because she's still in her mind thinking this is, like, um, a makeup artist job for something. And she says, I have a wonderful disposition. I put people at ease. And Harry's like, well, um, I'm afraid to tell you that these people are already at ease. They're deceased. And Shelley is just like, stiffs? What? <laughs> he says, this is not a beauty parlor. It's a funeral parlor. She's like, they're dead? And I'm thinking, uh, yeah, they are. She calls them Deaths. Like, lady, these are people's dead relatives. Have some compassion. But he corrects her and says, deceased. We don't say stiffs around here. And Shelly's like, oh, well, the ad just said makeup artist on it. Of course, saved by the bell, the doorbell, as Harry excuses himself to uh, answer the door, somebody... Um, got a coffin they're bringing in. It's actually a small coffin. And this is where Veda asks the question, why is that coffin so small? Is it for a child? And Harry, of course, lies to her. He's like, of course not. Coffins come in many sizes, just like shoes. I gotta ask this question. Um, did Veda pretty much raise herself? Because this guy's got zero involvement in his kid's life. 
And Grandma can't exactly help. It's more now, instead of it being Grandma came in to help raise Veda, and then she started to go a little, um, started to disappear. Now it seems like the tables have turned, and now Grandma, uh, Veda is the one that's having to care for this 80-plus-year-old woman. She's 11! Honestly, I feel, even though, I mean, I don't know what the, the adult care facilities, you know, homes like that were, like, available to the elderly that had issues like that. But she definitely needs more care than what he, if he can't even raise his kid and answer, answer simple questions that she has, he's so wrapped up in his work. And Shelly, even at one point later on in the movie, says, you hide. You use your work to hide from life and from your daughter. Of course, Veda is staring out at Shelly's camper. It's like, is that your camper? And Shelly's like, yes, yes it is. And Veda's like, that's really cool. Like, I would be wowed by that camper. We haven't seen the inside of it yet, but it is a sweetness. Bet it costs a lot to fill up that gas tank. So Harry finishes up with uh, the guys bringing in the small coffin. Veda is now on the staircase there, just kind of hanging out, watching the interaction between her dad and Shelly. Shelly still wants the position, and he's like, are you sure? Because, I mean, you know that it's you're putting makeup on the deceased. And she's like, yeah, yeah. All they have left is their looks. I will take very good care of these people. And Harry's like, okay, great. My work's done. So she'd be doing hair, makeup, and of course answering the phone. So basically, not only working on the deceased, putting makeup up on them and everything, but also probably scheduling appointments for people bringing in, you know, their passed away relatives and getting things set up like that. And he does comment kind of on her outfit. She is wearing the uh, low-cut blue dress. She's got a scarf around her neck. He's like, is this what you normally would wear to... And Shelly cuts him off like, don't worry, I will take very good care of these people. They deserve it. They're dead. All they have left is their looks. I love that line. The writer, that was, that was amazing. I love it. And it's funny when she says they're dead, and you see Harry's face like, oh, yeah, they are. Can't argue with that. Of course, we cut to Veda's expression like, okay, this should be interesting. Yeah, Dad. <laughs> we cut, uh, cut to Thomas J. and Veda riding their bikes around town. As a kid, I loved to ride my bike. I lived in the country, rode my bike all over the place. Um... Jeremy and I did get a bike back, uh, we each got a bike back in like 2005, I believe it was, five or six, and then of course when we moved into an apartment, we didn't have the bikes anymore, and then we tried to get bikes again, and it just didn't work out, we weren't using them, and then recently, like a year or so ago, I got a bike, only rode it like once, I'm like, I ended up selling it, it's like, yeah, the bike thing, it's, I'm not anymore, so they're riding... <laughs> on the promenade here, riding around, Thomas J's like, hey, Veda, look, no feet, and Veda's like, oh, yeah, real evil Knievel, Thomas J. You want to try, you want to try a trick, Thomas J? 
I mean, I know it's 1972, but you should check out some of these people I see riding a bike and talking on their cell phone. Talking on their cell phone. My goodness gracious. That is a skill. Or just the people that, I mean, or even he could try like, hey, look, I'm balancing the bike. No hands on the bars. I couldn't even do that. I'd try to like lift him for a split second. It's like I'd have to grab the the bar, the handlebars right away, or it started uh, wobble, weeble wobble. So Veda is definitely dressed in typical tomboy outfit. We got the jeans, we got the army hat, we got the t-shirt. No dresses for her, not yet anyway. Of course the kids go up a ramp that says no pickup trucks or anything, no bikes on this ramp, because they're going up into um, an auto garage, and you see the kids come out the other side, and a guy is like, hey, get out of here, little kids. I told, no bikes. No bikes. Notice, no pickup trucks allowed up ramp, no bicycles. And of course they completely ignore it. It's painted on a brick wall. We get also painted on a brick wall, uh, Nixon versus Agnew. We got Nixon uh, over the top of blue paint. We got red paint. We got Agnew next to it. That's kind of cool. I like how they did, like, however they put that up there. Veda's got a blue bike. Thomas J's got a red one. Which makes me think of um, 101 Dalmatians, because in the movie, Perdita had a blue collar and Pongo had a red collar. All right, they've stopped in front of this building. Well, Veda's got to go in for her weekly uh, doctor appointment. So, like, whatever person is brought in, their cause of death, she's going to mimic that. She's a hypochondriac. Clearly, clearly, I have cancer of the prostate. She doesn't know what a prostate is. I don't think I really know what a prostate is. And I'm 36. Okay, so it says the prostate is a walnut walnut-sized gland that is located between the bladder and the wee-wee. So, great. That's interesting to... I thought it was located... I thought it was located, like, in your butt. It's not? Uh, wow. I, well, because that makes me think of the Simpsons episode in the future with, um... Lisa was gonna get married to the English guy, and... Homer's like, oh, well, I have a robotic prostate, but you can't see it. And he looks down. He's looking straight down. I'm like, he's like, oh, I guess you can see it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know why I always thought that. Because if that's the case, then why don't we get the finger in the butt? How is that checking a prostate if you're sticking a finger in the butt? I don't know. I don't know. Let's get back to this. So Veda is making her way to Dr. Wealthy's. And as she's walking down the black and white tiled floor to his office we cut to a boy in a wheelchair looks like he's either sick or disabled i'm not sure which because she keeps looking back at him almost like she's never seen a disabled child in her life to her i mean i'm sure all children are the worst that a kid could have is like allergies like thomas J. but that doesn't land him in a wheelchair oh there's a payphone with a telephone book <laughs> wow flashback I've used a payphone before. Oh, she's going into the waiting room. I'm like, but his office is right there through that glass panel door. Oh, okay. 
We got some magazines on the wall there. We got some National Geographic, probably good housekeeping or, or whatever else. You know, maybe Cosmo. Maybe People Magazine. I don't know. But if you want to read them, they're there for the pickings. So Veda goes, just struts right up to the desk, the receptionist desk, puts her hands on the desk. She's like, I need to see Dr. Wealthy. I need an appointment. I'm very sick. Because the receptionist, clearly this is a routine visit for, for Veda every single, every single week. Because she says, what's wrong with you today, sweetheart? She's like, I'm very sick. Like, well, okay, honey, you take a seat over there. Maybe read a National Geographic and I'll go let them know you're here. So cut to the nurse on the phone. Says, hey, Veda's here again. She looks absolutely fine to me. Yeah, definitely see her. That way you can bill her father. I mean, you know he's getting charged for these visits. Unless, unless he's seeing her for free and telling her father, I'll see your daughter for free. Every time she comes in here, I will look at her. I got plenty of time. I'm not busy. But you're giving me a full, paid and full free funeral out of this when I die. All of it. Flowers. Casket. All that stuff. Absolutely free. Maybe that could be a... I honestly don't think that Harry even knows that she's going. He's too wrapped up in his work. He doesn't know that his kids even left the house, I bet. It's summertime. The kids are going to be out. They're going to be doing stuff. She did, Veda does not even take in that condescending tone from the receptionist. Like, what's wrong with you today? I'm very sick. She doesn't. She just. Veda says it so mad at her fact. Like, I'm very sick. No, like, ugh. Oh, I'm very sick. Oh, my God, this cramp in my side. <laughs> nothing. Nothing to indicate. Like, if you're going to do it, then, like, play the part of a sick person. Put a hand to your forehead, sweetie. <laughs> she sits down, flips open the American Journal of Medicine. <laughs> Probably coming up with her next, the next thing that she's going to come in for next week. She's like, huh. Let me look at some of these symptoms and illnesses. What can I say I have next week? Malaria? Great. Scarlet fever? Great. <laughs> well, I got my month all booked here. Scarlet fever one week. Malaria the next. Oh, here's the um, the bird flu. Oh, wait, that didn't exist yet? Dang. Um, Prostate cancer. So what is Thomas J doing the whole time while she's... Like, chilling in the doctor's office. What'd she say? Wait outside and I'll be right out? I just gotta get my peace of mind from the doctor. So he's checking her ears, doing a full examination. Like, your ears look absolutely fine. He's like, sweetie, you're fine. And she's like, that can't be. I have all the classic symptoms. And he asks, of course, did they bring Mr. Layton to your house today? Because, of course, he probably sees everybody in that small town. And she's like, yeah, why? It's like, sweetie, you have to stop this. There is nothing wrong with you. Not a thing. Well, you could always diagnose her as a hypochondriac. She is frustrated, hops off the examination table, heads to the door, turns to look at him and says, well, you know what? And she slips her army hat back on. I'll just have to get a second opinion. Because apparently you don't know how to do your job. 
I say there's something wrong with me. You tell me I'm fine. I'm going to find another reputable doctor. Oh, is that your, your uh, degree up there? Really? Did you really earn that? Yeah. Bye. I'm not coming back here, by the way. He had Thomas J. sitting on his bike the whole time. I mean, this probably took less than 20 minutes, but even still, it's like, my goodness golly. This kid is like... Sure, I'll wait for you. You gonna take a while? Sure, I'll just sit here right on my bike, waiting for you. I mean, someone's gotta watch your bike, right? You don't want someone to run off with their bike. Because he asks her, he's like, what did he say was wrong with you? As Veda turns her bike around, and she says, the, his, the whole medical profession is a crock. Well, he could just label you a uh, hypochondriac, Veda. I mean, he's not gonna make up diagnoses that aren't real. Now, everyone played the game song as a kid, right? Like, um, they're like, Veda, Veda, Bobeda, Banana, Fana, Fofeda, Me, My, Momeda, Beta. Of course, they don't do one for Thomas J. <laughs> oh, boy, that would be hard. They'd have to, like, shorten it, like, TJ or something like that. So do the ooh-ee, ooh-ah, ting-ting, walla-walla, bing-bang. See, they were their own little radio back in the day. You sang the songs you knew. I mean, this is 1972. I remember in the movie Now and Then, which I think was also during the 70s, right? 60s, 70s. They had a little radio that was playing music. So we see that Veda pretty much just has a record player in the room. So they stop, and of course, uh, Mr. Bixler does not live too, too far from her. Because she's like, hey, Mr. Bixler, let's go talk to him. And, of course, Thomas Chase is like, look, I don't, it's summer, man. I don't want to talk to a teacher. I, I don't want to look at a teacher until September. But, of course, you know, he's Veda's lap dog. So, sure, sure, yeah, I guess. I mean, you can talk to him. I'll just stand here and stare into nothing, the space. Oh, the bikes where the brakes were on um, the pedals. Where all you had to do was, like, push the pedal back and the brake would be, that stop. Not the handlebar brakes, not the 10-speed brakes, but this guy bought a house and he's painting it. This this huge house to rival the Sultan Fuss parlor. Lar All these houses seem to have really large porches, you know, in, um, covered porches to them. It looks like he's even changing out the screen doors and everything. Dude, you gotta get a crew. Well, he probably, he, <laughs> this is how he's paying for the house. He's going to be teaching a summer writing class for adults at 35 bucks a pop. I love Thomas J's response. Like, I don't want to talk to no teacher. It's summer. Like, no teacher. Like, well, clearly you need, yeah. Veda's also got a pin, one of those Nixon pins on her, um, her green army hat. And she's like, hey, Mr. Bixler, and of course, Mr. Bixler is up on the ladder. He's just painting, and he calls her Mademoiselle, Mademoiselle Sultanfuss and the amazing Dr. J. Isn't there a rapper named Dr. J? 
So, by calling him Dr. J, is he, like, referring to the basketball player Dr. J? Because I was looking at, um, Julius Irving as the guy's name. It said that he was on the Philadelphia 76ers between, like, sometime in the 70s. So, I don't know, cool. Maybe, maybe that could be it. But, looking at Thomas J, I mean, yeah, it's just a nickname, but it's like, he does not look like the kid that would be into sports. He looks like, he's not even into reading either. Because Mr. Bixler asks about the reading list for, like, the summer. And, of course, Veda is like, oh, well, I already finished that, and now I'm reading War and Peace for fun. It's like, you, you're reading War and Peace, that huge clunker of a book. Well, why go? It's summer. Go outside and have fun. Be a kid. For Veda, this is the summer of lost innocence. She said that she finished all the books for summer readings. Like, really? Already? The summer's already just started. Like, you just got out of school like a week ago. Well, when she says, I'm reading War and Peace for fun, he's like, no wonder you're my prize pupil. See, if he's getting her, giving her special attention, which... You know, maybe because, you know, she doesn't have her mother and everything like that. He's kind of looking out for her. But I think maybe, and she clearly does not have the best dad figure at home because he won't give her the time of day. So she, of course, is really soaking up all this attention she's getting from him. She developed a little harmless crush. You know what? I'm going to wait on my little crush story till like towards the end of the movie. So Mr. Bixler turns his attention to Thomas J. Like, hey, how about you? You started the reading list yet? And he's like, Meh, no, not yet. And of course, Bixler's like, look, Veda, you might want to get on his case. He's got to get this started. You, you, you kind of like uh, nudge him in the nudge him in the side there. Get him going on that. So Veda asks the obvious question, why are you fixing up this old house? And he's like, well, I just bought it. Now I'm fixing it up. Now, nowadays, you probably think, oh, the guy's fixing up a house to go and flip it and sell it. No, no, that he, he bought that house for himself. And she even says, wow, this is a pretty big house for just you. And Mr. Bixler's like, well, you never know. And Vita, Veda, Vita, Veda is kind of like looking at him like, oh, what does that mean? But, of course, he's like, I may get a dog. I may get a pet, a cat, maybe. I could become the crazy dog, the crazy uh, cat guy. Of course, she asks the obvious question after that, of course, is, oh, you got this house? Really? How are you going to pay for it if you're not working during the summer? Because we all know teachers don't work, really. They're not in school during the summer. So they got to find other things to be able to fill in their time and get a paycheck. Granted, maybe he's, you know, getting unemployment while he's not a How does that work for teachers? I'm sure they must be able to claim unemployment during the summer. Unless they're probably like, no, you actually have to get a job. We're not going to pay you for the three months you have off during the summer. You have to get something else. Okay, creative writing. Yes, good for him. So she's kind of not being too... Uh, she just asked him how much it costs. Like, way to be subtle there, Veda. He says $35. Like, completely. Not a week. And she asks, what do you get for that? Here's what you get for 35 bucks a week. You get Mr. Bixler. You get him two hours a week talking about poetry. How long does this class go for? Two hours a week? What is that, like 20 minutes a day? 
If spread that out over the course of five days? No, there's got to be like two days a week and then the class is like an hour long. Or you could spread it out to a half hour over the course of four days. He asked Veda, is this an interrogation? Like, why are you so interested? Of course, she's like, no, it's not an interrogation. I'm just getting 11. I'm curious. You know, if I don't ask, how do I know things, right? She says, well, I guess I'll go home and finish off War and Peace. And, of course, Bixler shouts after him, like, you're a kid. Go play. It's summer, for crying out loud. Veda, you have the rest of your life to read War and Peace. I mean... The chunk of the, the size of that book, it may take her the whole rest of her life. I'm sure that is a heavily dense, dense book. You know, the kind of large book that, you know, takes you a while, like, because it's so detail-oriented that you just, at some point, you feel like you're just slogging through it, and then you pick up a different book to kind of, like, like I do sometimes with some books. Uh, sometimes I'm not just going to read one book. I will, like pick up something else to kind of read alongside it. So it's like you got your foot in one in war, war and Peace, and then you got your other foot in The Lord of the Rings. Thomas J. looks like he would be a kid who would be into The Lord of the Rings series. I'm not just saying that because he wears glasses. <clears throat> and I know, I'm going to say this. I think that Anna Klumsky and Macaulay Culkin almost look that they could be either siblings or cousins. I mean, they both got the the blonde hair. They both have the blue eyes. They both have the big, you know, the, their, their lips are similar, too. It's just they just look like they could be related. So they're riding away. Thomas Jay's like, hey, you want to go to Gray's Orchard and pick some peaches? And, of course, Faye's like, no, I'm going home. She doesn't say what she's going to do, but you know she's going to go home, put on a song, stare at Mr. Bixler's picture, which I did that with my teacher that I had a crush. I was, I was Vady's age. I was 11. <clears throat> and it was my fifth grade teacher. Well, actually, he taught fourth grade. I was in fifth grade, but um, I had a crush on him. Yeah, I'm just going to tell the story now because I don't want to forget to tell it because, yeah. This crush that I had, I don't think it started at the beginning of the school year. But, um, I remember getting my yearbook at the end of the year, and I didn't draw a heart around his face, but because the pictures were, like, you know, in a square, I kind of just outlined the square that his picture was in. And I had it, let me say, I had it bad for this guy. I had it bad for this teacher. The guy smelled good. I think it was, like, late 30s, maybe in his 40s at the time. This was back in 1993, also. Heck, probably 93 going into 94. I remember also when I went to fifth grade camp, he was one of the um, teacher chaperones there. And I remember one time, like, me and, like, uh, a group of girls were, like, walking to some other building and it was morning time and I saw he was like out there smoking with other teachers and I'm like he smokes I didn't know that but I think the crush like after I got out of school it was just as strong as it was when I actually had it because I only had him for a teacher for like part of the school year and then of course I moved on to junior high I'll get more into the story a little later
So she says she's going home, and Thomas J's like, why? It's not even dinner time yet. And she's like, gosh, you're just like a dog. You only go home to eat. And then she makes a joke of, don't pee on the hydrant. Like, oh, Veda, you called your best friend a dog. I love on their bikes have the metal fenders on them. Gosh, this is such a large house that she's in. And there's, like, totally a wraparound porch. Like, you can start at one end, and it would take you, like, 15 minutes to make it all the way around the house. Maybe 20 if you walk. Maybe it could be 10 if you run, but who runs on a porch? Am I right? You slip, you fall, you're gonna bump your knee. Oh, I thought it was a Nixon pin she's wearing. It's actually really cool. It's a peace sign, a blue outline peace sign with the American flag underneath. It's really cool. She puts a record on, and it plays a wedding bell blues, and let me tell you, when I worked at, um, Goodwill, and they played this song, immediately my mind goes back to this movie. She's got a framed photograph, because I'm guessing this is how the the classes did it back in the day. It's like, you didn't have individual pictures, you had a group shot with your entire class. Which, mine was always individual pictures. You know, you had a set day that you went there, you stood in line, they gave you a little comb if you wanted to fix your hair up. Didn't do anything for me. Like, yeah, what am I going to do with this? I'm standing in line. Give me a faucet with some water and I'll kind of like, uh, fix. My hair really didn't need to be fixed up. Other people did my hair for me when I was young. After a while, it's like, well, I'm not doing anything with my hair. Run a brush through it. It's good. Great. So classic girl, right? You're staring at a picture of your dream guy. You got your legs propped up behind you, just kind of bouncing back and forth. Just like, one day... One day, we're going to be married. We're, we're, I'm planning our future together. How many kids we're going to have. The house we're going to live in. All of that. You, you did that as a kid, right? Don't tell me you didn't. When you're thinking of the movie stars, you're, you're, you're fantasizing about one day I'm going to meet them. We're going to fall in love. We're going to get married. We're going to have a house. We're going to have a dog. We're going to have 2.3 kids. We're going to have a car. All of that stuff. You're planning out your life. Which, it's, this is... 1972. So this is just, say, fantasies in her head. She's not actually acting on these fantasies that she's playing out in her mind. So we got Mr. Bixler, and she's got a, a heart draw, a big heart drawn around his face. And we got one boy that's standing between Veda and Mr. Bixler, and she is definitely, I mean, if he looked at this picture and he looked at Veda, Look where her head is. Her head is turned in his direction. Her eyes are, like, glued to him. Definitely. She's not hiding anything. Anyone can look at this picture. That girl's in love. But then again, they can see that boy that's standing right next to her and think, oh, well, she's looking at that boy. She's not looking at that teacher. All right, now we cut to dinner. Looks like later that evening, because Veda is still wearing the jeans and the uh, burgundy-colored faded T-shirt. Um, looks like I'm guessing Shelly does come up, because her RV is planted right out front in, their, in front of their house. So, I mean, of course, you know, you work here, we'll feed you dinner so you don't have to feed yourself. And she's just come up with, um, you know, from working on somebody. Has she been invited to dinner? Or maybe she hasn't, and they're all just eating dinner, and she's just going to Harry like, hey, I finished working on so-and-so. That's when she stops mid-sentence. She sees Veda on the ground, on the floor, 
Like, oh my gosh, Fada, what's wrong with her? Harriet's like, oh, well, she does this all the time. Fada, get up and eat your broccoli. And then, of course, Shelly goes over to you, like, Veda, Veda, are you okay? And Veda turns to her, like, I think it's my prostate. And then at that moment, it's funny the conversation that Harry and his brother, we see his brother Phil there. They're having a conversation about an accident, a car accident, and the victims and this and that. Then you get Grandma. She's in a nightclub in her head, just singing on stage and everything. And then... While Shelly's on the floor, she's hearing this and looking like she's never heard Grandma speak before. Like, what family, what if I entered into? I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried. Oh, they're still working on Mr. Layton? My goodness gracious. She's like, I just finished his hair. She says, he kind of looked, and then she stops and notices Veda on the floor. I mean, it's not like Veda is shaking and having a seizure. She's just laying there. She wants attention. He says, oh, she's just pretending when Shelly's like, oh, what's wrong with her? She, he yells at her, get up here and eat your broccoli. And Veda opens her eyes as Shelly's got a hand on Veda's arm. She looks like, I think it's my prostate. Why didn't you act like that when you visited the doctor? Like, oh, I'm very sick. I think it's my prostate. And the nurse would have laughed her out of the office. Like, <laughs> you don't even know what a prostate is. <laughs> you gotta stop coming here, sweetie. <laughs> oh, I guess they're not talking about a car accident. They're talking about something to do and um, how that Cadillac, probably the, was it the Cadillac hearse maybe that they got? By, they took in a lot of bodies. It feels like, well, I had a body in my bedroom. You had one in your bedroom and so on and so forth. I mean, that's how they make their living and everything. And meanwhile, Grandma's all like, I got rhythm. I got music. I got my man. Who could ask for anything more? And <laughs> Shelly is just still on the floor looking in horror at like, what in the world? What is this family? Like, is this America or Mars? <laughs> All right, now we go to the next day. Shelly comes out. She's got this really nice crocheted kind of um, knitted, like, vest. like, And she's got, like, the this really nice lavender-colored, or maybe a plum-colored, really flowy sleeves. It's, it's really definitely cute for the times, wearing jeans. Veda and Thomas J are playing they're probably playing war because they're playing right on the steps yeah they're putting down each one puts down a card and Shelly's just kind of sitting there watching them saying who's winning and of course Veda's like I am of course of course we get some girls from Veda's school and they're like oh look it's Veda with her boyfriend I bet she kisses him on the lips and Veda who's She's not taking their garbage. She's not taking their crap. She looks at him and says, You think I didn't kiss that ugly old thing? And of course, Thomas J is like, Yeah, anyway. And then he just restops and he's like, I just insulted myself. <laughs> Whatever. You get a quiet girl named Judy who the actress is not going to come back for the sequel, but the character does come back. And the girls are clearly using Judy because her dad owns the movie theater so that we can get to see all the movies we want for free. And I'd be like, uh, excuse me, 
I mean, I'm sure Judy's dad is like, honey, come make some friends. We'll let them see whatever movies they want to see. Just, I want you to make friends. So I'm going to play this clip because it's really, really cute. boyfriend you think i'd hang out with that ugly old thing over there and thomas j is like yeah anyway uh mm. <laughs> it's almost like you recollect i i just insulted myself no she insulted me and i just agreed with her <laughs> but judy even is like hey maybe you can come sometime and the other two girls are ew don't invite her she'll have to bring her gross boyfriend and then they do the Veda and Thomas sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes Thomas J with the baby carriage. And the whole time, Shelly is kind of sitting there on the top of the porch watching. She's watching Veda for her reaction. And, of course, Veda is just, she's got this, oh, if Shelly wasn't here, I would so pop you and the both of you in the mouth right now. And it's sad because Judy does not stick up for Veda. She does invite her. But she's too shy to really stand up for herself. Unless the girls pressure her as the girls are singing that song, they're off way ahead. And Judy is just kind of like looking down at the ground and looking at Beta like, I'm sorry, I wish I could say something, but these girls apparently feel they have power over me. She's not strong enough to say something. And, of course, when the girls leave... Shelly says, well, Veda, you really shouldn't let those girls upset you like that. And Veda's like, well, I'm not upset. I would never play with those girls. I only surround myself with people I find intellectually stimulating. And I love the shared look, the smile of Thomas J and Shelly. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm the special one here. That's why she hangs out with me, because I'm smart. So Shelly pulls out a bar of chocolate. Veda, you want some chocolate? And she's no, thank you. And, of course, she hands it to Thomas J. Thomas J., how about you? You like chocolate, don't you? And he's like, I can't. I'm allergic. And Shelly's never heard of the chocolate, really. You're allergic to chocolate? And, of course, he's like, mm, I'm allergic to everything, actually. And Shelly still is like, chocolate? Really? And both Veda and Thomas J. are like, to everything. <laughs> what kid passes down chocolate? Seriously. What kid passes down chocolate? And it's not a king-size bar. It's just a regular full-size candy bar. Then all the good houses pass out around um, Halloween. Those houses that you definitely go to. Yeah. Okay, that's clearly not a Hershey's bar. Is it a Cadbury bar? It just says chocolate on it. Oh, it says peanut crisp. 
So I want to play this clip here as Shelly notices the mood ring. This is the first time that the mood ring makes an appearance and we're taking note of it because, of course, for all of you who have seen the movie, you know this mood ring plays a big, big part later on. pretty ring and beta's like yeah it's a mood ring it's supposed to tell what mood i'm in but it always stays black and of course as shelly's admiring the ring on veda's finger she's like oh well maybe black means you're happy and i'm like sure sure yeah <laughs> black means you're happy yep because she said she doesn't say how long she's had this ring which then again it does say well oh mood, you know in the trivia mood ring this 72 mood rings didn't come out to like 78 or something I'm like well maybe it was a prototype that um was defunctional and they just like here here's five you can have this ring for five cents it it, it doesn't work we're not going to tell you that it doesn't work but and of course thomas j is like it always stays black it doesn't work and Veda's like, well, it only stays black when you're around because you put me in a bad mood. So Veda changes the subject to how she can get $35. She wants to take a writing class. And Thomas J's like, she only wants to go because her sweetie pie's the teacher. And, of course, Veda's like, shut your mouth, all right? It's a writing class. It's because... Thomas, she says, she wants, she's stupid. I mean, she wants to go to school over the summer. Really? Can you believe this, Shelly? And, of course, Veda's like, it's not a real school. It's, it's a writing class. I, I want to be a writer. And, of course, Thomas, that's when Thomas, she's like, she just wants to go because her sweetie pie's the teacher. She's like, shut your big fat mouth, Thomas J. And, of course, Shelly's like, you know, Veda, I think you'd make a fine writer. And it's interesting, it's like, we don't know how much time has passed. Has it been a month since she's been there? And maybe she has had, maybe she's had dinner with the family. But, I mean, it's not like they invited her to dinner or anything. But even still, it's like, she's, you know, sees Veda and probably gets a sense of like, oh, this is something she's really passionate about. I want to encourage it. Like, I bet you, I don't know you, but I bet you could be a fine writer one day. And what's great is that they continue this in the sequel, that she is a really, she still is into the writing and everything. And I like in the sequel, it's more, the movie is focused more on Veda's journey with self-discovery, discovering about her mom. She wants to learn about her mom and everything. And the and when I cover the sequel, we'll get to that, because we do see a black and white photo of Veda's parents and her mother looks nothing like the woman that we see in the film strip at the end of the second movie. So it's later that evening, Veda decides to take Shelly's advice. She comes in, the family is watching Archie Bunker, 
She kisses Grandma on the head. Grandma is just watching the TV. She may or may not be watching the TV. Archie, of course, is saying what channel is Walter Cronkite on. Edith says it's channel two, the one we don't watch anymore because you said Walter Cronkite is a communist. And, of course, he's like, I never said that, Edith. The man ain't all red, whatever that means. I don't know my politics, guys, and I'm happy to keep it that way. And I like how Veda walks past her dad and kind of takes her finger, like, up his shoulder to the side of his neck. Like, hey, dad, I'm still here. I'm still existing. Remember your daughter? <laughs> he doesn't even acknowledge her. It's like popping popcorn into his mouth. Like, oh, Veda, I see you're there. Can you pour me some soda? <sighs> oh, my goodness. He only notices her when he needs something. Mayo out of the fridge. This glass of soda here. Can you fill my cup with it? I don't know, Dad. Is that going to get me the $35 I need to do my writing class? I'll, I'll, I'll pour you that pop. Sure, I want that $35, though. Can you give it to me? <laughs> I give him that ultimatum. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll do that if you give me the $35. Of course... He really is doesn't want to indulge this whole writing thing. He's like, oh, remember that time you wanted to be a ventriloquist? Or you wanted to be a um So she right away is like, hey, can I have $35? He's like, well, that's a lot of money for a little girl. $35.72 was probably, like, closer to, like, over $50. Or maybe, like, closer to, like, $60 or $70. That's a lot of money for a little girl. And she's like, it's for school. A summer writing class. So, of course, he's not even answering. Like, oh, any more soda left? So she gets up and pours the three-fourths uh, remain, or the, uh, it's basically half full. She just dumps what's left of that bottle into his glass. And I love how she says, well, Shelly thinks I'd be a good writer. Well, sweetie, your dad and Shelly aren't together yet, so that's not really gonna help your case. Like, oh, that's nice, dear. And he's like, well, last month you wanted to play the violin. So she's got interests. So what? It's not like she wants to learn how to figure skate because she watched the Olympics. He's like, then you wanted to be a ventriloquist. So she's getting interested in stuff. Did you even encourage any of those ideas? He plays the tuba. Honey, I got a tuba. I'll teach you how to play. We can do that. So yeah, he's like, oh, I love this Archie Bunker. He's so funny. And Veda's like, Dad, the money. Can I have it? Clearly, she's trying to keep him, like, on track. I mean, it's a good thing he's gonna, in a good mood. He's watching TV and everything, but his mind is not on his kid. The fact that he shot her down, like, I'm not gonna indulge this writing class thing. I mean, just last month, like I said, with the violin, the ventriloquist, and, of course, we cut to her playing basketball by herself in the hallway on a hardwood floor with an area rug there. He's like, she says, well... Because she's got a voiceover, too, occasionally. As she says, he didn't mention the time I wanted to be in a magician to make myself disappear. So she's like, can I have the money? And he's like, eh, maybe next year. So Arthur's getting ready to go. He's dressed in a nice suit because he's got to go to the cemetery. Because she's like, hey, Arthur, you want to play with me? Go a little one-on-one -on -one in the house? In the hallway? He's like, I gotta go to the cemetery, kiddo. But he does give her tips, like, you gotta keep your head up. 
because he steals the ball from her. Like, see, if you hadn't have had your head down looking at the ball, you got to keep your eyes on me. So he's giving her tips at least, which is good. Of course, she is bouncing the ball after he leaves. The door, he didn't even shut the door to the basement. So, of course, what happens? She loses control of the ball. It goes out. It goes through the door, into the basement, down the stairs. And the guy's body's still down there. Turn on a light, pumpkin. (laughs) You're going down the stairs, and there's no light there. You don't want to be free. It's a scary basement, I know. But, of course... Add in the creep factor if you're not turning on the light. You d- I'm not going down into my basement unless there's a light on. And there's the lights that you got a string that you got to pull on them. I rarely ever go down in my basement. That's why Jeremy does the laundry and I do the dishes. It's a nice, it's a nice thing, you know, we got going here. I don't want to rock the boat. Well, the body is covered up with a sheet, but even still, it's like that Ball is probably right by that table where Mr. Layton is. Of course, Shelly comes in, what, from outside? And she shuts the door, notices the door is still kind of ajar, and she slams it shut. Veda hears it from down in the basement. She runs up the stairs. She's got the ball. She grabs it and runs up the stairs. Of course, as she's trying to open the door, she's pounding on it. The ball, of course, comes loose, bounces back down the stairs, and she starts singing the Dua Diddy song. That's probably because she's having a panic attack and is trying to calm herself down. Shelly finally notices, like, what's that noise? Someone's pounding on the door to get out. She opens it. Veda has got, she has crouched down, got her head between her legs, just going like, do I diddy diddy and Shelly's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, as she takes Veda's hands from her head and says, Veda, 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 it's me, it's me, what happened, tell me what happened, and Veda is like, really like, upset and shook, shook. My, 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 my ball, I, I, I lost my ball, it's, like, it's okay, sweetie, it's okay, we'll get your ball, just, let's get you out of here. So, next is the scene where Shelly's working on Mrs. Porter, and <laughs> she she likes it, like, enhance the look and everything. Because she says, nobody wears this hairdo in 19-whatever, 72. Is it? What time is it? Oh my gosh, it's 5.35. Quinny, I gotta get your dinner. I am so sorry, sweetie. So, Shelly calls Harry over to check her work on the lady, and he's like, he looks at her, says, uh, didn't I give you a picture of her? She's like, oh, yeah, here, let me pull it out of my smock pocket. And we get a visual, the lady, she's got really, she loves that blue eyeshadow. Talks about it for days, loves it, loves it. And she has a nice little bit of, um, She's just kind of heightening this lady's features with the blush and the bright lipstick and the pearls. And what did she do with the hair? Because the lady in the picture that Harry is kind of, you know, comparing to, the lady's got a short, almost semi-butch cut. And Shelly, you know, Harry's holding this photograph, and Shelly's like, well... No, I wanted to kind of enhance things because nobody wears this hairdo anymore. And Harry makes a point to... Harry makes a point to tell Shelly, like, uh... Because Shelly calls it the old school mom look. And Harry tells Shelly, uh, that wasn't a look. She was an old school mom. In fact, this picture here that I'm holding 
was taken a month ago at the church bazaar. Please fix this. Her family is going to be horrified. I'm going to lose my business because of this. Thank you. So, yeah, she's like, oh, you don't like it? And he's like, well, this was a Reverend Porter's wife. Ew, she's a reverend's wife. Shelly. She must have known, didn't she? Maybe she only knew by uh, the lady's name and didn't know, like, what her title was. <laughs> I love Harry's response. You have her looking like a $2 hooker. Yes, Shelly, wipe off the clown makeup on this lady. So Shelly, of course, is like, she's sticking to what she did. She's like, I think she looks nice. Her lips are very thin. She says, I used the gloss to give them a sensual, a, set, a sensual quality, Shelly? You do realize that this was somebody's wife. Possibly somebody's, maybe someone's mother? And not to mention, I'm sure Harry is like the only funeral parlor in town. So he knows these people, all these people in this town come to him. And she goes on to say, well, her eyes just needed a little definition. Her eyes are closed. Her eyes are closed. But she's just, she's just painting on that blue eyeshadow like she's Bob Ross. And then Shelly gets to the hair, like, and then her hair. I mean, come on, Harry, nobody wears this hairdo in 1974. 1972, excuse me. And he says, this she did. She wore her hair like this. This photo I'm holding was taken a month ago at the church food drive. And, and, and Shelly's still sticking to her work. She like, I wanted to get past the old school mom image. And Harry's like, it wasn't an image. She was an old school mom. Yeah, he tells her basically, you have to fix this. I don't care how. I don't know. I don't care how long it takes you. If you got to stay here all night, please just fix this. Let's just wipe it clean. Get a wet little cloth. Wipe the canvas clean and start over. I'm sorry, Shelly, but you're not Bob Ross and these aren't happy little accidents. These aren't pretty little trees. It's her face. What is she wearing? This woman, is she wearing like a nightgown? Or no, that's supposed to be a dress? Because the look in the picture, this woman is wearing, like, a black funeral dress in the picture. Now she's wearing a really, like, light baby blue ruffled at the neckline. If it's a, it looks like it's a fancy nightgown with ruffles on the sleeves. But then again, if Shelly's doing the makeup, they're not going to put her in what she's going to be buried in right away, are they? I, I don't I don't know how this works. I, I'm not a mortician. So before Harry leaves, Shelly, of course, wants to bring up the whole thing with Veda. She flat out says, I was wondering, is there anything wrong with Veda? And Harry's looking at her like, what? Why are you asking me about my kid? Wrong with her, excuse me? So he's like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, the other night, you know, at dinner. And he's like, he just brushed her like, you know what? No, she, that's, that's just her. That's my daughter. She likes to play around. That's all. She does that on a regular basis. We just ignore it. And then eventually she gets back up, sits at the table and eats her broccoli. And Shelly is like, I don't think so. I don't think she's just playing. I think she's confused about death. Of course, Harry pretty much laughs in Shelly's face and says, uh, <laughs> excuse me, look around. She grew, she's growing up in a funeral, 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 why can I not talk? 
She's growing up in a funeral parlor. She happens to know a thing or two about it. Really? What all does she know? Do you know that she checks that little clipboard that you got there that's got the reason of death? And then she'll go and see the doctor and then she'll say, I have prostate cancer. I have a chicken bone lodged in my throat. Clearly somebody probably died from that. I doubt anyone died from hemorrhoids. Unless they burst and someone bled to death out their butt. I don't know. And she's really trying to, like, Harry, no, I think, and he keeps cutting off saying, hey, she's a happy 11-year-old girl. You stick to what you know, all right? Put in makeup on dead people. That's your job. Your job isn't to school me in how to raise my kid. Okay? Thank you. So, yes, maybe in a way, I get that Shelly is starting to form an attachment to Veda, and which is good. But in a way, this is still your employer that you're basically parent shaming him. I think in a way that maybe if she knew, if they were in a relationship, maybe I feel she could, it wouldn't necessarily be overstepping her boundaries. If she were in a relationship and said, honey, I can call you that now because we're in a relationship. She is confused. You need to speak to her. And we need to get to the, she needs to be seeing a psychiatrist. She needs to be seeing a psychiatrist. <laughs> Uncle Phil, Thomas J. and Vanna, they got Uncle Phil between on this uh, jump rope here. And they're doing this little ditty. And of course, Shelly pulls up. She probably went and got some groceries or she probably went and filled up the tank. And that's probably what she uses her paycheck on mostly is probably to fill up the tank in her RV when she needs to go somewhere. You know, get groceries, get gas. I mean, that's basically not only does she live in that vehicle, but she it's her mode of transportation. She's got to go somewhere. She's going to take that. So kids being kids, which I mean, yeah, heck yeah. If I saw someone with a camper, I've never been inside a camper before. I'm like, hey. Can we check out your camper? But these kids, Thomas, Je Veda especially, they see Shelly getting out like, Hey, Shelly, can we look in your camper, please? Oh, please, please, please. Like, how much sugar did you have today, Veda? Because you are a-bouncing off the walls. I gotta say, Uncle Phil, you are getting your daily work out there with that. <laughs> he's, he's sweating like, eh. And he's having to really, like, bend down to jump over this jump rope. Well, as soon as they see her come up, they drop that jumper. Like, hey, there's Shelly. Let's go. And Uncle Phil's like, huh? I'll be here. <laughs> Getting my second wind. <laughs> oh, I, lo I did not miss how Uncle Phil is kind of patting his hair down. Like, oh, it's Shelly. I know that she's not dating my brother yet, so she's still available, technically. These kids are just... Veda, like I said, especially, he's like, hey, can we look in your camper? <laughs> and Shelly's already got her hand on the door. Like, she's closed the door. Like, oh, oh, you want to look? Oh, yeah, I'll give you the tour. As soon as she opens that door, Thomas J and Veda are, like, right underneath her. I'm like, oh, sweet. <laughs> Thomas J is the first to enter, and his eyes are like, wow, look at, wow. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> Both kids, I bet anything, would be like, I could see myself living in this. I really could. I mean, look at it. She's got a sink. She's got, of course, you know, the driver's seat. and everything. It looks like she's got, like, pictures put up hanging of, like, outfits. And 
I bet anything. I bet she's a fashion designer in her own way. She makes her own clothes, I bet. Going back to the book for a sec here, it's interesting because it's all told from Veda's first-person perspective. It's not like Veda said this, Veda said that. No, it's completely from her POV. So I want to take a, a little break from the movie real quick and kind of go back to the book. So this scene is going to be, of course, when the kids were running out of the house after thinking that Grandma was like a dead body that's actually really not fully dead. So, Veda goes over to them. I went over to Grandma then. I bet she'd love to know how she scared them. A couple of months ago, she'd have laughed a lot about this. Hi, Grandma, I said. You scared them. Good. Boy, did you. She didn't answer. Grandma? I knelt in front of her, looking up into her face. She didn't see me, or if she did, she didn't show it. I miss her so much. She's like my mom. For years, I even thought she was my mom, until I grew up and knew more. So what happened to her? How could she be here but not be here? If only she'd try. She used to hold me and pat me, and when I got scared or anything, she'd sing to me and rock me in her lap, right in this rocker. Suddenly, I had a weird thought. I looked around, just to be sure no one was watching. Then, like a little kid, I climbed into her lap, curling myself up into a little ball, just like I used to do when I was little. Grandma, I whispered. She didn't notice me even then. Her face was as blank as a sleeping baby's. Grandma, I whispered. Can you see me? Do you know it's me sitting here? She just rocked on. Please. And I put a hand on her hair and stroked it softly. Try, I said. Come on, Grimu, try. You can talk if you try. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting kind of getting in Veda's head. Now, in the book, in the movie, it's Arthur that's actually helping Harry embalming bodies in the basement. In the book, and this is the thing, because when the teacher read the book to me in seventh grade, I'd already seen the movie. So, of course, I took great offense to the fact that it's Uncle Phil in the book who's helping Harry and not Arthur. I don't even know. Does Arthur even get a mention in here? I'm not sure. Oh, wow. Um... Uncle Phil, part of the time, he's a bartender. Real, see, that's interesting. So here, let's go to Shelly. Shelly. Shelly in the book actually asks the salary. And the salary, Shelly asked, $100. A week? Dad nodded. Wow, I'd like 100 a week. But not this job. Oh, wait, 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 wait. This is Veda saying, wow, I'd like 100 a week, but not this job. This job I wouldn't do for 1000 a week. This is like a bad dream, Shelley said, rubbing her fingers over her forehead. Look, I was hoping for about 150 100 is less than what I made at my last job. And those customers tipped. I could tell Dad was thinking about it. I could do 110 He finally. he said finally. She's... Duck out her hand. Mr. Saltonfuss, you have a deal. Here's another part where uh, Veda kind of talks about Thomas J. 
She kind of describes him a little. Thomas J is such a dork sometimes. Even though he's 11 like me, he looks about 8 because he's so skinny and little. And with his huge glasses magnifying his eyes, he looks like a perfect owl. He also... He's also allergic to everything, which is one reason everybody teases him. He wore a wool sweater to school once, and his face blew up like a balloon. In the cafeteria, he has to have a special menu with no eggs or milk, and nothing with tomatoes or even ketchup on it. He can't even eat pizza, and he collects strange things like cicada shells and butterflies and dead bugs and hornet nests. Oh, oh, oh my, hornet nest. Okay, okay, I get that. We talk about, but he's my best friend. We talk about everything, and we climb trees and fish together, and we even play pretend. I wouldn't let anyone else in the whole world know that I still played pretend. I do wonder sometimes, though, why he doesn't get more upset when I boss him around. I wouldn't let anyone boss me like that, except that maybe he likes to be bossed. Maybe he's used to it. So I'll do one more scene from the book, and I will get back to the movie. Hmm. So she plans to go over to uh, Thomas J's house to go fishing and stuff like that. When I got to his house, Thomas J was all ready, except first he said he had to go pee. Want to play our game, I said, as he headed for the bathroom. Sure, he said, grinning. I knew what that meant. He really had to go. Bad. I'll count, I said. Thomas J went in and shut the door. Through the closed door, he shouted, Okay, start! And no fair counting slow. Not a thousand and one that way. Okay, okay, I said. I heard him begin peeing, and I started counting regular, not too slow. One, two, three, four. Hey, too slow, he yelled. Five, I said fast and loud. Six, seven. He was finished. Seven, I said. Eight, he shouted back. But he'd finished peeing before the eight. Seven, I said back. I counted seven. Seven and a half, and a half he said. He came out of the bathroom and s was still fixing his pants. Okay, I said, seven and a half, but bet I can do it longer. Bet, he said. Not even six. My turn, I said. I went in the bathroom and closed and locked the door. Then very quietly, I went to the sink, got the water glass and turned on the faucet. Slowly, quietly, I let the glass fill up with water. Hey, hurry up in there, Thomas J. yelled. Hold your horses, I said. It takes, a gr it takes girls longer. When the glass was full, I went to the toilet. Okay, I yelled, and not too slow. Start. Then slowly, I began pouring the water into the bowl. I could hear Thomas J. counting. One, two, three, four. He was deliberately going slow. Count! I yelled, five, six, seven, he said, slow and sulky, eight, I win, I yelled. I flushed the toilet, then waited long enough so he would think I was getting myself fixed and all, and then came out. I win, I said, I can pee longer than you. Together we went out on the porch to get our fishing poles. You always win, Thomas J said, even though it wasn't true. That's because my mom was an Arabian princess. They can hold their water like a camel. She was not, Thomas J. said. I jumped on him suddenly and rustled him to the porch floor. His glasses flew off. 
I said, him, I said on him hard, say my mother was an Arabian princess, I said. No, he yelled. I bounced up and down on his back. Ouch, he yelled. Say it, I said. I bounced again. Okay, okay, she was an Arabian princess. I bounced again. And the most beautiful woman in the whole world, I said. And the most beautiful woman, get off, he said. I did. We both sat up, catching our breath. Thomas G. found his glasses and put them back on. I bet my mother was beautiful. Funny not to ever know. I'd seen pictures, but I wondered if she stayed mad at me, like in heaven if she was mad. Suddenly, Thomas J. jumped up and grabbed his pole and raced down the stairs. Your mother looked like the Mona Lisa, he shouted. I raced after him. Don't you say that about my mother. <laughs> I just thought that was cute. I remember that when the teacher read it. I'm like, that wasn't in the movie. But I liked that I could share it with you. So, Shelley's got a bunch of smut novels right where her little kitchen at her little um luncheon table is and of course uh veda's like kind of running her finger along the spines like hmm, oh i'll take this one and thomas jade the first thing he does as soon as he's like oh cool boom goes right for the steering wheel like i'm gonna sit down here i'm gonna drive us to liverpool and shelly of course is like liverpool and Veda adds, oh, he's a big Ringo fan. He's big in the Beatles. And, of course, when I saw this movie, I mean, I probably heard of the Beatles, but I didn't know their individual names. So I'm like, Who, where, where's Liverpool? I didn't know what Liverpool was, where it was. I didn't know who Ringo was. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I thought when he said Liverpool, I'm like, oh, he's just going to drive them to another town or something. That is such a large steering wheel. And he's like, wow, this is the coolest thing. Because it's like... The way the windshield is so huge and wide, you can, like, see everything in front of you. And he's like, he turns to Shelly, like, wow, you can really eat and sleep here? And she's like, mm-hmm. I love how she is so good with the kids. She is so good with them. She's patient. She's never angry with them. It's just, it's so great. She's going to make a great mother one day. Or stepmother. So she turns to Veda, like, would you like a soda? And she's like, I would. And she's like, oh, Thomas J., do you want a soda? And he's like, oh, yes, please. And I love the metallic colored glasses. They're really, really cool retro. On the back of the paperback that uh, Veda's reading, it says A Lost Love. Yeah, it's a smut novel. That mood ring is so big on Veda's finger. She's got it, I think, on her index finger. Oh, she's got a little uh, mini fridge there. It looks like I see some Velveeta. I see, like, some craft, like, Parmesan cheese. Oh, she's got a little stove. Oh, that is so cool. You could really live in that. It's got a bathroom. I'm, I bet it doesn't have a shower, though. It might not have a shower. And Thomas J sits across from Veda at the little, uh, kitchen table he's like what are you reading and she like puts her finger like, oh, like shh, shh, don't, don't. and of course immediately <laughs> Shelly turns around oh oh she takes that book right out of Veda's hands like oh you you shouldn't be reading that and the thing is for the longest time because I grew up watching this on VHS it didn't have subtitles so what it sounds like Shelly says and I'll play the little clip it sounds like she says it's in the tool when actually the subtitles say it's too old for you. Like, yeah, you really should not be reading smut novels. What are you reading? <laughs> oh. You shouldn't be looking at that. It's in the tool. You hear it in the 
clip. Doesn't it sound like she says it's in the tool? Like, what is in the tool? So Vanna's like, oh, did you read all these books? And Shelly's like, yep, yep, I sure did. I mean, what else is she going to do in the evening, right? I mean, she's got to have something to read. You don't have a cell phone. You can't watch Netflix. I don't even think she'd be able to have a little TV where she'd get reception. You got, he's probably reading it by flashlight or something. Or candle. Ooh, I would not be putting a candle in there. That is a great way to start a fire. So she's like, oh yeah, what are those books about, Shelly? And she's like, oh, well, maybe about, you know, romance and love. And, of course, Thomas J. being at 11, he's like, ew, gross. Yeah, love and romance. Oh yeah, just... Putting it out there, like, it's basically a smut novel. <laughs> That's why you shouldn't be reading it until you're, like, my age. Even Veda kind of turns her nose up at that, like, romance. Like, ugh. And, of course, it's like the Fifty Shades book. It's, they're just fun to read. I mean, you don't go reading it for some deep psychological uh, references. Or, or, or I mean, it's not... It's like those comfy, cozy YA reads, you know, the contemporaries. There's these cute, fun reads. Half the time, you're probably reading the Harlequin books just to make fun. Like, ah, let me read this scene out loud. loud. <laughs> this is so dumb. <laughs> but it's just so fun to make fun of. Yeah, I see that uh, Thomas J's got the blue metallic cup, and then Veda's got the gold or yellow metallic cup. Because Shelly just took, like, a 20-ounce glass of pop because, you know, they didn't have the plastic bottles back then. Poured a little in for each of them, and they all three, they cheers. They clink their cups and glass together. So, of course, Veda, ever the inquisitive mind, is like, oh, Shelly, are you married? Because, of course, that's what kids asked back then when they didn't know an adult. Like, oh, you married? You got kids? Those are probably the two big questions that and maybe what do you do for a living or how much do you make are the big questions that kids back in the day asked. What are the questions nowadays that kids today would ask an adult that they're just getting to know? Well, they ask, do you got kids? You married? How much do you make? I don't think they would. I'm kind of curious. They'd probably be like, oh, do you got Netflix? Have you seen The Walking Dead? Have you seen... Uh, Stranger Things or something like that. A kid probably today is going to be like getting, trying to get onto a level with an adult of something that they could have in common and have a conversation with. I don't know. So Shelly, of course, admits that she is divorced. Of course, Veda's father put it in her head like it's bad when people get divorced. Not that people are bad, but that it's bad that, you know, when people get divorced. And I like that Shelly handles this with such maturity with dealing with you know, kids, like, yeah, I know, sometimes married people feel that they can't live with each other after a while. And it's just, yeah, sometimes, you know, in the moment, you you love each other, you get married, and then after a while you live with each other and you realize maybe you're growing apart, you're having differences, and maybe those differences are, are too big to be able to work through and, and, and stay together with. I mean, of course, Thomas J. wants to be included in the conversations like, oh, the Myers are divorced whoever they are. <laughs> Thomas J. stands up, wipes his mouth off, and grabs, like, oh, Shelly, can I have a cookie? As his hand goes to the cookie jar. And he puts his hand in, and she's kind of drinking, like, oh, 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 as he pulls out a wad of bills. Well, you guys knew that she was, Veda was going to take that writing class one way or another if her dad ain't going to pay for it. Well, where else is the money going to come from? Shelly's hidden cookie jar fund. 
And he basically pulls out, like, probably fives and ones. Maybe there's a ten in there. But a lot of fives and ones. That's probably her tip jar from all those tips that she got from um, back when she worked at the Dino Raphael Salon. I mean, think about it. If she's got an RV, she doesn't have to pay a mortgage. Doesn't have to pay rent because she's parked right outside her uh, place of employment. Doesn't have to pay electricity. Really, all she has to do is pay for, what, gas, food? Um, yeah, I, do, I bet there's no electricity. She's probably using, like, candles or, or, or something like that to be able for light. Aveda's eyes could not be bigger. She's like, what? Her mouth, like, drops open. Like, oh, wow. Look at, I bet there's $35 in there. So she, you see, as soon as she's, she's calculating the $35. She's formulating a plan. So that way she can stay behind. Like, I gotta use the bathroom. Because the uh, cuckoo clock above the, um, in Shelly's RV tells Thomas J it's time to go home and feed my face. So he heads out. And Shelly's like, all right, Miss Veda, you ready to go in? And uh, I gotta start my day? Like, basically, I'm not leaving you unattended here in my RV, but... Veda's like, oh, well, you can go without me. I gotta use your bathroom. Oh, and Dad'll be mad if you're late, so you just don't worry. I'll, like, um, make sure the door is secure when I leave. Okay, so it's noon. Because he said, Thomas J says, I'm supposed to be home at noon for lunch. Well, then you are late, little man. I bet Thomas J does not live far from Veda. I really don't think he does. And... Veda's like, can I use your bathroom first? And, of course, Shelly's putting on her fancy 70s sunglasses. And Veda says, you don't have to wait for me. Daddy will be mad if you are late for your job. So Veda goes into the bathroom and shuts the door like she's actually going to go to the bathroom. And then as soon as Shelly is, like, gone, she's like, all right, it's me and the money. Let me make sure I only take what I need to have. When was the last time that Shelly even checked that money and accounted for what's there? I bet she, well... Well, she might have, like, a ledger or a memo pad that's got the amount of how much money's in there. All right, now we go to Mr. Bixler's adult creative writing class. Notice how he didn't mention that convenient part when he was telling her about it. So he's quoting some Chinese philosopher from the 1600 era. And he says, why would I bring that up in a creative writing class? Let me tell you what, we got a hodgepodge group of people here. We got, I bet that lady, was, it's not a beehive dude, but it's blonde. And she's sitting next to this man who's got a bow tie, a long-sleeved button-up shirt. He's got nerdish glasses, you know, wire glasses. And he's got a, um... A little, ve little, um, the vest that you would see Henry Warnemont wear, something like that on Punky Brewster. We got another lady there that's got glasses. She's got frizzy, curly brown hair. She looks like she might be ethnic. We got, um, a hippie guy and his girlfriend who is right next to him. The hippie guy, of course, he's wearing the beads. He's got the necklace, the peace sign, probably. He's got a what looks like one of those white v-neck Hanes t-shirts. Almost everybody, except for the ladies, are wearing jeans. Got a lot of skirts. Uh, one lady uh, with the uh, short cropped hair 
is wearing a flowy blue dress with some big beads. We got one guy who looks like he works at a mechanic. This guy, in my mind, looks like he's either on something or he is going to kill somebody at one point in his life. Because his poem is like, like he's an obsessed stalker. He's obsessed with some lady and he wants to stalk her. And he's angry because she won't touch the grass that he planted for her or the flower he planted for her. Or the pictures that he painted for her. Yeah, that guy needs some help. That He needs, like, a therapist, not a creative writing class as an outlet. He's got an, he needs an anger management class. Mr. Bixler, can you recommend anybody? You guys know this is, like, 1972, so the hippies were clearly on something. Be it the pot, be it the acid, the LCD, or the LE, whatever. <laughs> LSD, LED. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he says the absent of, absence of judgment helps us to appreciate reality. Okay. And, of course, for those that need it dumbed down, in other words, I want you to listen to your classmates' writing. I don't want you to judge. It's a judgment-free zone here, everybody. We got a lady who's got a really nice um, woven vest. Uh, we got an older gentleman who looks like he's probably in his 50s. Glasses, balding, looks like he just came from the office. Maybe he's an insurance salesman. I don't know. And everyone's kind of getting their own thing out. Some of them are really, like, really digging deep to pay attention. They're cocking their head, like, interesting. I'm really soaking all this up. I mean, they're going to get their 35 bucks worth one way or another. It's just how much you want to take in of the class. How much are you willing to participate? He says, I want you to participate in your classmates' writing with a clear and open heart. This is going to be interesting. The fact that this guy is teaching fifth graders to now teaching a mixture of people ranging from the age of, like, 22 to 35 to, like, maybe 57. So a whole a range of people. Is this his own classroom or is he just renting a room somewhere? Like a classroom somewhere. Okay, he's like, all right, who wants to go first? Oh, we get the, uh... What's this guy's name? Wayne or Wade or something? Wes? It's Ray. Gosh, I couldn't have been farther from the off. So he's just kind of doodling. The guy's just, you know, writing whatever in his comp book. I'm going to kind of read it along here. I sang a song for you to hear. This guy's got some dark shadows under his eyes. He clearly is not sleeping. Whoever he is obsessed with, he is stalking her with the, uh... Yeah, with that of, like... He's, a uh, Siberian tiger, cat-like reflexes, whatever. So he's like, I sang a song for you to hear. And as he goes through each line, he's getting more and more worked up and angry to the point where he is slamming down on his paper. Boom, boom, boom. Like, whoa, calm your roll. Slow that roll and calm yourself. I painted a picture for you to see. I picked a rose for you to smell. So he's getting all five senses. See, smell, hear. I planted grass for you to touch. What kind of grass? Like marijuana grass? Smoking grass? Smoke grass? 
Uh, he's just like the grass that you can uh, feel with your hand. And this guy, who looks like he could be like a chemistry, you know, the nerdy type with a bow tie, is just kind of looking at him like, what is this? What, what am I, what's your obsession here? But then he starts with, I planted this, I did that, I did all of this for you. But you did not hear my song. You did not see my picture. You did not smell my rose and you did not touch my grass as he slaps his hand onto the paper. Like, whoa. I'm going to play this because this is, you got to hear it. This guy is a, he's a fruitcake. He's a nut. He needs to be, uh, medicated. <laughs> Why do you need to borrow some of Justin's weed there? Or, um, um, what's that, what's that Rhonda's weed or something? flowing blue dress with the close cropped hair is like maybe she was out of town and the way that ray responds to her he's got his hand up like he wants to backhand her that man does not need to be in that class he makes me nervous and of course the chemistry nerdy guy is all like that's not nice it's about futility and how we his poem is about futility. We toil in, in unrewarded obscurity. What in the what? Excuse me. What are you even talking? This guy just wants to like spout off all these words. I don't even think this guy even knows what's coming out of his mouth. It's like, as long as I say these words, people will think I'm extremely smart. Not just average smart. So Mr. Bixler is like, okay, okay. I hear judgment. I said this was a judgment for you. So got watch yourself, sir and miss or you will be injected from this class. I will remove you. As he reminds them, let's not forget the part about the open heart. How about an open mind and a closed mouth? So, of course, Veda comes in, and Mr. Bixler is like, Veda, uh, can I help you with something? And she says, oh, I am... Um, she's really shy and nervous, like, oh, I, um, I paid the money. And he's like, uh, for this class? She's like, uh-huh. And he's like, uh, <laughs> Veda, this is an adult writing class. <clears throat> and everyone's really supportive. Like, Justin and Ron are like, yeah, I think it's great. Hey, let her join. I mean, she wants to be a writer, right? And I love Rhonda saying, hey there, little sister. They're so welcoming of her. It's so sweet. And she does say, yes, I, I want to be a writer, which you got to start somewhere, sweetie. She's not going to have Mr. Bixler for a teacher in the following year. She's going to be moving up to, like, junior high. And he starts walking towards her and says, But Veda, this is an adult writing class. And I'd be like, Oh, Mr. Bixler, how funny. I mean, when I talked to you the other day, you didn't say any, you said creative writing class. You didn't say anything about it being adults only. But, I mean, luckily the class is like, Hey, let her join. She wants to be a writer. She's one of us. We welcome you into the circle, Veda. Come and join us. 
So Mr. Bixon was like, are you sure you want to do this, Beta? He's like, uh-huh, yeah. He's like, okay, go, go, go take a seat then. Join the class. Welcome. Oh, we got to hear Rhonda's. We got to hear Rhonda's poem. When I was 11, I had an idea of what she was describing, but I'm like, wow, this is like, this is even too much for my little 11-year-old ears, my little 10-year-old ears. She write, wrote a poem about her her experience with her boyfriend. Well, what experience do you think that is going to be? When it starts out with flesh all a mesh, what is that? <laughs> no clothes in that scenario. <laughs> uh, I experienced something with my boyfriend the other day, and I wrote a few words down. What was yours, Rhonda? I was inspired. He covers me like a blanket from the cold, dark night. As I look into his eyes, I know it's right. <laughs> to touch, to feel, I know he's real. Flesh all a mesh. Flesh all a mesh. I can't fight it. There's no point. I wake up and light a joint. Mm. Oh, God. <laughs> Everyone is just and even Mr. Bixor is like slowly swallowing like oh my what did I just invite into this classroom because he's got an 11 year old kid girl in his classroom precious child ears and clearly her boyfriend is Justin because he has got this big massive ear to ear grin on his face. Yeah, because when she said, I experienced something with my boyfriend, it immediately cuts to Justin, who's blushing and looking down, embarrassed. So what, they had sex? And he said, oh, hold on, I gotta write this down. This is so good. This experience that I had with you, I gotta, I gotta get this on paper. <laughs> he covers me like a blanket from the cold, dark night. As I look into his eyes, I know it's right to touch to feel I know it's real or he's real <laughs> and the whole time she's caressing her chest running her fingers down her tummy I said tummy <laughs> it's like as she's reading this she's getting turned on and her mind and herself is back in that space with her boyfriend re-experiencing it I know he's real Flesh all a mesh. Oh my god. <laughs> if I were Mr. Bixler, I mean, I get it, no judgment and open mind, open heart. But I'd be like, Rhonda, Rhonda, thank, thank, thank you, thank you. You can, you can sit down. Um, everybody, look, we have an 11 year old with us now, so let's maybe keep these poems like maybe PG. Like, let's not border into PG 13. Or maybe, let's keep them maybe GPG rated for these tender ears that we have here in the audience. I can't fight it. There's no point. I wake up and light a joint. Good for you, Rhonda. Good. You, you rhymed. That's really great, sweetie. 
And the we the camera cuts to Justin's like, yeah, yeah Mr. Bixler, yeah, that was all me, man. <laughs> My girl, everybody. And the other members of this class, Mr. Bowtie over here is just like a sweaty, heaping mess, like, oh my god. And we got, of course, um, the lady in the, the uh, short-haired blue dress woman who's all like practically waving something, like fanning herself, like, oh, oh. is it hot in here or is it just me? <laughs> Vega's got her hands over her eyes. I'm surprised she didn't put her hands over her ears. I'm surprised Mr. Bixler didn't start walking around to Veda and putting his hands over her, her ears. Like, this is not for children's ears. Veda's got a little poem that she wants to read about Rocky Road ice cream. Mmm, mmm. Yes, we need something cool to cool us all down, Veda. Would you mind? Ice cream poem's gonna go great with this flesh all mesh poem that we just heard. Good. Anything. So yeah, Veda's is a short little, I love how she at least came prepared with a poem for class. And, you know, Mr. Bixler is like, yeah, sweetie, it's cute, and it rhymes, which is good. But he's almost like saying, I want you to be able to express yourself, like go deep inside. She's 11, just, she's not going to be able to really grasp. So he's like, well, go deeper, like your fears, your desires, your ex what you're excited about, how you see the world. We want to see that through Veda's eyes. And I like Justin's response. He's like, oh, I hear you there, Veda. Flash all a mash and rocky road. It's about desire. Like, what? Yeah, Justin. Yeah, it's about desire, all right. <laughs> So we get a voiceover from, so this is kind of in Veda's head saying, fears and, des fears and uh, desires? I'm afraid I killed my mother. Which, oh my god, we get a um, shot of the root, like, like really the camera's pulled far out from this, uh, the Sultan Puss parlor. And it looks like part of the roof is blackened in a spot. But anyway, you see that... It doesn't, the, um, wraparound porch doesn't go all the way around. Like, it go it stops. I'm wondering if that's because, um, that's maybe where the funeral parlor part starts, I'm guessing. But anyway, so I think this fear of death and everything, because her mother died when she was born, and she doesn't know her mother, and she feels that she is the root cause because she was born that her mother died. Like, because I exist, my mother 
passed away. Like, she died giving birth to me, so she sacrificed herself. Well, no, she just feels like she's responsible. My mom had me, and then she died because she had me. And that's, that's a big, and she's probably been carrying this around for, like, as soon as she probably thought that thought would be my guess. Nobody put that in her head. But yeah, she is definitely confused about death and everything. It's just, it's her all-consuming thoughts all the time. That and her hypochondria of, you know, picking an ailment that somebody died from and then she's taking on that form, like, oh, I'm suffering from this. I'm going to go to the doctor and stuff like that. Shelly is looking so pretty. She's got her hair done up, like pinned back, and almost like it may be a little bun. And she's got a really pretty neck. She's at the receptionist desk. Because when we shoot to the exterior shot of the house, we hear that tuba playing. So Shelly's like, oh, music. And we see that as she's walking into another room, we get a shot of Harry playing the tuba for his mom. Like, maybe if that kind of helps. And his mom isn't really responding. She's just kind of rocking. And maybe it just, it's, this tuba is maybe familiar, it's something familiar and it's soothing and comforting to her. So she's just kind of sitting there. You know, her hands are like, just in her lap, one kind of placed on top of the other, and it's just, it's sweet. You know, he's taking more time with his mother than he is with his own daughter. At least he's taking an interest in his mother. So, of course, Shelly's just kind of taking in the sweet moment between a son and his uh, mother who's afflicted with Alzheimer's. She and just waits till he's done. Like, oh, Harry, I I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but um, the flowers were delivered and the room's all set up for the funeral, so... This is a nice little moment between Shelly and Harry where he does, like, kind of give a little information about, you know, Grandma and, and everything and how I think he does mention how Grandma had moved in shortly after Veda's mother had passed to kind of help raise Veda. Because, you know, Harry did not know what he was doing. He's a first-time father and that's got to be overwhelming. He lost his wife. Maybe he was really grieving. Like, um, that movie Jersey Girl that came out in 04, I believe, with uh, Ben Affleck and um, Jennifer Lopez was only in it for, like, maybe less than 10 minutes. Her character dies giving birth to their child. And for the longest time, Ben Affleck being a, you know, he's a single father, he's grieving over the loss of his wife to the point where he can't even look at his infant daughter. And his dad, played by George Carlin, moves in to help out and everything like that. And it's just, it's almost like he feels so angry that this baby girl is here and not his wife. I mean, that's, and Jersey Girl is a sweet, cute movie. It really is an adorable, sweet movie. I like that Harry is at least apologizing to Shelley for, I'm sorry, you know, I shouldn't have yelled at you like that when it came to Veda. And, of course, Shelly apologizes, like, no, I was overstepping my boundaries. I really, it's not my business to pry. I just, I care about Veda a lot. Which, like I said, she's already getting an attachment to Veda. Which is, like I said, it's nice because Veda is getting, I mean, I, I get the sense that, yeah, Veda 
doesn't like the idea of having a substitute mom yet. That's not how she just sees Shelly as a nice lady. However, it's going to turn when Harry starts to get an interest in Shelly. Like, oh, you're not spending time with me, Dad. That's not a big deal because you really haven't. But the fact that now you're spending what available time you do have with Shelly, she's, Veda's now viewing Shelly as an interloper. He mentions that, you know, like I said, after his wife died, Grandma moved in to help with Veda. And unfortunately, I mean, they, Veda and Grandma got very close, but lately, as her mind's been wandering more and more, um, guys, you're gonna learn when I cover the sequel that Grandma in those, like, two years, between ages 11 and 13 for Veda, Grandma passed away, which I would think, isn't it, like, Alzheimer's pretty much, like, it hits you, and then you're not, how long can a person survive with Alzheimer's? I kind of wonder a little bit. So, I think Harry is kind of putting Veda's behavior, Veda's been acting crazy because Grandma isn't who she used to be, and then maybe he's, like, saying, because of this situation, this is how Veda's choosing to act out. That's what I'm getting from it, anyway. And I I like that at least Harry is like, well, I'm sure she'll snap out of it eventually. Not Grandma Veda. And, of course, you know, Shelly's saying, I'm sure she will. I'm sure, you know, like, what she's going through, she probably thinks it's it's a phase, you know? So I'm gonna stop this podcast here. And I'm going to continue on in part two, which is going to pick up from the point of where Veda and Thomas J are fishing and they become blood brothers. So that's where part two is going to pick up. So I really hope you've enjoyed this first part. All right.